Good evening. This is Searchlight, the Entrepreneur's Journey, with myself, John, and Sharon. Me? We have got a really interesting evening lined up for you. So our topic this evening, as you probably know, we do a different topic about each aspect or element of the Entrepreneur's Journey as we go through. And what we're looking at this evening is we're going to look a bit at the numbers and really why it's so important to be have your brain wrapped around those numbers, understanding some of those key numbers. And you'll often hear lots of these bizarre acronyms floating around, like LTV. Do you know mm. what LTV is? So, lifetime value of a customer. Oh, TV, right. Yeah, there's lots yeah, But we're not just talking about accounting numbers. We will be doing some accounting stuff, but we've got a great uh, lineup of guests this evening. In just a few moments, we'll be speaking to Anthony Owen from OnMarket, uh, and we'll be talking about stuff that they do with um, equity crowdfunding, uh, but also talking about Anthony's experience of, of the numbers and all that sort of thing. A little later, we're going to have our good friend Warren Maris from Magnus Business Advisors will be back. Uh, Warren's been with us before, talking about some of the... Uh, support that's been around for COVID and so we'll probably just talk about that very briefly and then drill into some of the numbers stuff uh, and a little later we're going to have uh, Lisa Papa who runs an online e-commerce store locally that's a local business nice yeah uh, called Little Kids Business really interesting so we'll be talking to her about how important numbers are from the whole sort of e-commerce perspective and all that sort of thing uh, and then a little later we'll have Ian Park from um, uh, FinPay FX they're a, a, a fin, fintech startup up. Financial. Financial. So is that a, yeah, that's a yes. shortening of the name. Yes, as, as usual, we abbreviate everything. That's not just Australian. In, we do it in the startup <laughs> world as well. You know, we <laughs> Even worse, I think. Abbreviate all this stuff. Absolutely. So Finpay FX, so he's, he's got a really interesting story to tell. Clearly, you know, his involvement with numbers, you know, the, the, the business is about finance and therefore numbers. So basically, if you're on this entrepreneur's journey and you think you've got a great idea and you want to find out What's your next step and what's your next step? One of the steps that you really do need to understand is your numbers. How are they going to work? Are you going to make money or not? So that's what we're talking about tonight. It's the numbers, the money. Let's make you some money. By the way, if you haven't caught up with Searchlight, the Entrepreneur's Journey before, welcome. It's a great show. We go right through till 10 o'clock tonight, talking tonight about the numbers. But if you want to go and catch up on a number of the podcasts that we've done right through this year, you can go to... Go to www.entrepreneursjourney.net.au. And if you scroll down the page a bit, you'll see the complete list of all the podcasts of the previous programs. Have a thumb through those. There's some really interesting stuff there. Plus, if you want to be involved in the program and you want some advice... Fill out the form on the same page and then come through to us and we'll have a look at that and maybe we could have you as a guest on a future program. So if you'd like to be on the radio, get a free plug for your startup business, just fill in the form there and uh, we'll take a look. Excellent. In the meantime, let's have a little bit of a musical break and we'll be back in just a moment with Anthony Owen at Bay FM 100.3. This is Searchlight, The Entrepreneur's Journey. Searchlight on Bay FM 100.3. Bay FM 100.3, the heart and the soul of the Bay, or more accurately this evening, the entrepreneurial heart and the soul of the Bay. Exactly. <laughs> so if you're just joining us on your entrepreneurial journey, welcome along. This is where you find out if you've got a good idea, how can you make money from it? And you can ask some questions tonight if you want as well, because we've got some amazing guests. Our first guest will introduce you very shortly. But jot this phone number down. 
zero four six eight eight six one double o so if you want to SMS a quick message, a question, you want to join the program, you can do that. 0468 861003 and we welcome your questions. But now we're going to introduce our first guest. And our first guest this evening is Anthony Owen from On Market. Anthony has 25 years plus experience across local and global digital media and technology companies. He was the founder of Minauto Limited, a USA-based global media management provider with worldwide operations. He's had experience in international markets working with the likes of Microsoft, IBM Watson, Ingram Micro, AppDirect, and he's also worked with many large corporations and Fortune 500 companies, and he has experience in capital raising and managing global expansion. Good evening, Anthony. Welcome. Good evening, John. Thanks very much for the opportunity. Fantastic to have you here. Now, as we said, our topic this evening is understanding the numbers. Uh, so clearly a lot of the work you've done has involved businesses and I'm guessing a fair bit of looking at their numbers, yeah? Uh, yeah, I think it's a pretty critical part of a business. I mean, it's one thing to come up with a great idea, establish that you've got some product market fit, um, you know, but then the key component is, you know, number one, are people going to buy this product? And number two, how much are they going to pay for it? And then finally, and the most critical part of it is, you know, how much is it going to cost you to attract customers, to retain customers, you know, how long will the customers stay on the platform and how quickly can you get to profitability, which is the most, you know, critical aspect of any business. Okay. Before we drill into that a little bit further, t- tell us a bit about your entrepreneurial journey. Yeah, sure. So I started back in 95, <coughs> showing of my age a little bit there, back in Aussie mail days when it was owned by Malcolm Turnbull and Trevor Kennedy. So I got schooled by some pretty interesting um, people, you know, back then and, you know, lived then right the way through for the past 25 years i've had six of my own startups i've i've closed three down i've sold two i listed one on the asx um and most of the other time that i haven't been running my own business i've been working for another startup or another growth company of some sort cool okay so as as, as we said earlier you've, you've and currently now you're you're working with on market yeah, so I moved back from the US about three years ago, um, running my company over there for about four and a half years. And when I got back, you know, I sort of didn't have any real ideas about what to do. I'd done several deals of on market. They were involved in my ASX listing. So I decided, you know, probably a good idea to bring them up to Brisbane. Brisbane was lacking this type of company um, and the expertise that comes with the guys that found it on market. So I brought that to Brisbane and, you know, about four or five months ago. And, you know, we're doing some great things up here with some really really cool startups okay so, so what exactly yeah. are you what is what is on market yeah so on market does a range of things it started its life back inside the asx um as a business called asx book build and when you list a company on the asx you've got to have 400 shareholders and most companies don't like i had about 39 when my company listed so we gave on market an allocation of a couple of million dollars and asked them to go and find you know 370 odd shareholders so that i could pass that one hurdle for an asx listing they then spun out of um out of the asx and stood alone as on market book build they picked up one of the first equity crowdfunding licenses when turnbull released them so you know the nice thing about on market is that we can take startups from seed capital all the way through to an ipo uh, and everything in between so how would you do that uh, so essentially we look at these um startup companies we look at their the founder 
um, and the management team if they've, if they've got one. We look at the product. We dive pretty deep into their financials. We try to understand the businesses. We then assess it against a range of other deals that we look at, you know, on a monthly basis where I think we're looking at on average about 80 deals a month at the moment and try and work out whether we believe we can raise money for these companies, whether we believe these people have got a business. Um, if they do then you know we'll put an agreement in front of them to go and raise capital if they think they've got a business but they're not ready for us we'll send them away and go hey go and achieve this or do this and come back and talk to us or you know the worst case scenario is we don't feel like we can assist them in a capital raise so we just say no okay so so uh if if i'm a, a budding entrepreneur sitting at home right now going hey i could do with raising some capital this sounds interesting what would be the kind of minimum criteria they would need to meet for you guys to look at them yeah i think it's not so much that it's a minimum criteria i mean we do a fair bit of work with pre-revenue companies i've got a couple of clients now that are doing anywhere from you know one of them's doing about a million dollars a year in revenue another one's doing about five million dollars a year in revenue um you know so and we've got a few clients that are pre-revenue so so again, we'll assess the businesses, you know, and if they've got a very clear path to revenue or say it's regulatory driven or, you know, there, there's some reason why, you know, this business is going to succeed. But the only way it's going to do that is if it's got capital, then we can go and raise the money for them. So we really try to do a, you know, an assessment of the business. Um, and a lot of it for us is determined whether we believe as a business we can raise money. Like right. property tech companies, we don't seem to do too well at as an example, because our investor base just doesn't seem to be attracted to property tech. So we'll refer them to property tech funds or property tech investors um, that we know that specialise in those sort of areas. But really, a lot of it's just based on what we see in the market and what we believe, whether we're right or wrong, and you do miss a few great ones, whether, you know, as to whether or not we can actually be successful for those companies. If, if prop tech isn't quite so hot for you, then, are there, are there other areas that are more in your sweet spot? Yeah, we find right now there's a real attraction to, to whether you want to call it health tech or medical tech, mm. uh, you know, general software as a service is is quite attractive to a lot of investors at the moment. Um, you know, they're the areas that seem to be quite hot right now, mental health, you know, and some of this other new age stuff. Environmental seems to be attracting a lot of interest amongst our people, our investor network. Um, you know, so they're, they're the areas that, that we look at, you know, where we sort of go, okay, that's a really cool company. Let's, you know, take a bit of a closer look and, and you know, meet the founders and dig deeper into the financials um, just to see what it looks like. So what I what I find interesting about that is you you're covering quite a wide range of the of the of the investment sort of channel in terms of you're doing you're doing early stage pre seed seed stuff all the way through to ASX listings yeah yes gosh okay all right so so that's an unusual business model so do you guys count yourself as a vc fund or do you no we don't count ourselves we're we're an intermediary so we we consider ourselves capital advisors so if you look at our database you know we've got about fifty thousand, fifty-two thousand retail investors that are signed up on the crowd raising platform we've got a thousand to twelve hundred high net worth individuals or sophisticated investors on another database and we've got about 200 family offices venture capital firms and boutique funds on another database so if you look at your retail investors they'll do could they, they can only invest under a prospectus so we'll take any ipo deals to them and we'll take a crowdfund to them because you've got to have a short form prospectus to do a crowd raise 
Right. So that's okay. one of the rules. Yeah. So that's that database. They can only invest up to ten thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. You know, so the average check size I think is about fifteen hundred out of our people. Oh right. Um, okay. Right. So that's on your crowd raise or retail. You know, mm. pre IPO sort of raise. Our then sophisticated investors are sort of individuals, high net worth individuals that will write checks anywhere from fifty thousand dollars to five hundred thousand um, dollars personal account or PA as they call it. Yeah. And then we've got our boutique funds and family offices that are writing checks between half a million and five million. Got it. So you're, co- you're covering all points on that. What? Because I've been describing it as equity crowdfunding, and I'm beginning to wonder if that's 100% accurate. But it seems reasonable. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. just a, it's yeah. a part of what we do. Right. You know, Got it's, it. a, it's yeah. a very it's a fast growing way to raise money. There's only certain companies that are, that are attractive to a equity crowdfund, and they're typically a business to consumer products. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're a hard B to B product, people on equity crowdfunding like to be able to go out and buy the product. Cool. Or yeah, somehow get associated yeah. with the product, whereas your your high net worth sort of people they just want to know how their hundred grand checks going to turn into a million dollars and how quickly right you know and then your family offices i mean they, they've got a risk component to their you know these family offices that have you know typically got funds to invest anywhere from 200 million dollars to two billion dollars depending on who the who the family is got wow. it so so how many how many deals have you got going at any one time then uh i've got four live deals going in brisbane at the moment uh i think in sydney they've got about three crowd raises happening four wholesale raises and a couple of ipos okay going um, on so we it's quite busy at the moment but we are in peak capital raise season right now plus it's po- po- post-covid so okay <laughs> why is it peak capital raising season now it just seems to be that way. So you've got between about the middle of August to the end of November is pretty peak capital raise and obviously the whole of Australia goes to sleep over Christmas, doesn't come back to life until after Chinese New Year. True. Typically, so middle of Feb. And then you run out of puff again running Easter? Into, into Easter. Yep. It mm. slows up. There's very little activity leading into the end of financial year. And winter. And winter, school holidays become an issue. We're classic out here for this. Right, so you know you've gotcha. got you've got a couple of windows a year. Doesn't mean capital raising stops mm. full stop, but mm. if you want to time it properly, then you've got your your peak spring, right? Everyone wakes in, up so and it's like, okay, let's yeah. do it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah. Can you explain the difference? Because this is one of the questions that. Uh, I know I had and will be floating around other people's minds at the moment. We're using the word crowdfunding. A lot of people, when they hear crowdfunding, will be thinking of things like Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. So could you explain the difference between what you do and Kickstarter and why they're so different? So so Kickstarter, in short, it's probably where crowdfunding, equity crowdfunding, it's known as starter. But Kickstarter is essentially saying, look, I'm going to produce X widget. Right, and it's going to be available at Christmas. Do you want to pre-purchase that product? So it is a way to raise money, right? So people go, yeah, I'll pre-buy that product. And you see a lot of it in the US. Um, and so, you know, people can sell. I've seen some Kickstarter campaigns sell millions of products and raise millions of dollars. And that's the way they fund themselves in order to get their manufacturing up and running and get their distribution going and get their brand exposure happening. So, so, But it's not giving away equity in the business. So at the end of the day, if you go into a Kickstarter campaign, put your 100 bucks in, you'll get your widget at Christmas, assuming all things 
uh, equal and everything goes hopefully, to plan. Hopefully, hopefully right. you'll get it. <laughs> yeah, hopefully you'll get it. Whereas with equity crowdfunding, when you put your money in, and particularly if it's a consumer product, sometimes they'll offer a product up, but you'll get equity in the business. So you'll get to grow with the success of the company. You can go and purchase the product at Woolworths or wherever it might be, um, or at a retail outlet or at an online store. Um, but essentially you're putting money into the company and you're backing the company and you're, it's an investment and it'll grow. So you're getting physical equity in the business. So that, that's the primary difference. One of it, you're getting a product for your money, but nothing else. Uh, and the other part is you're getting a piece of the company and you become a shareholder. And, and, th- and at that point, you're an investor rather than just a customer for a product. Yeah. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. So, um, okay, well, look, well, we might just uh, take a little break and play a little music and then we'll come back. Uh, we're talking to Anthony Owen of On Market. But uh, first of all, let's have a little bit of uh, Jackson Brown. Nice. This is Bay FM 100.3, Searchlight and the Entrepreneur's Journey. to my eyes at Bay FM 100.3. This is Searchlight, the entrepreneur's journey with Sharon and John and our special guest for the evening. Is, uh, is Anthony Owen from On Market? So, in that little musical break, uh, we were having a bit of a chat about just the stuff that you see in the in the market space. And what was what were the things you were talking about? How uh, Anthony's clients can actually get a benefit, rather similar to what is happening on Kickstarter, where you're investing and you're getting a product. It kind of makes sense if you are going to be an equity investor to get product. Yeah, so it's one of the things that we encourage you know some of the businesses businesses to do during an equity crowdfund is to actually offer up product for a minimum investment, which you know might be five hundred dollar investment, and you'll get a product, or it could be a thousand dollars. It depends on the business and the type of product that it is. But it's important to consider the fact when we do an equity crowdfund um, marketing process, it is going out to our fifty two thousand database. So it is a very good email marketing campaign. They get a video, they get the information about your business, and then we can offer them as a bit of added value that, you know, if they invest $500 or $1,000, you'll also get a product. And you've seen a fair bit of it, not just on on market, but some of the other equity crowdfunding platforms, particularly with the boutique beer companies. They'll give away a case of beer Damn, or a six-pack of beer. Yeah, um, Ooh, yeah. We, had a, we had a yeah. Sunblock company, Solar D, where they were giving away product for, for an investment, um, you know, and there was a sport tech company I was the interim CEO of about 12 months ago now um, where we were about to do an equity crowd raise and as a part of that we were going to give away one of our products as an incentive to invest. So, so it can form a very good marketing campaign and good brand exposure as well as raising money for your business. Because you get an automatic customer list. Correct. So every, every investor becomes a customer. Got it. So you're kind of doing it's almost hybrid between the, the two models, really, isn't it? Correct. Yeah, speaking. that's although, exactly right. Although strictly speaking, you're getting access to, to a potential customer base who also just happen to be investors, you know, mm. if you're lucky. So yeah, no, that's that's a, that's, that's a great way. So um, as we were saying earlier, our main topic this evening though is really about you know the topic is understanding the numbers and how important it is for you know startup entrepreneurs, founders to really have their their head around key numbers in their business. Uh, you see, you see this stuff day in, day out. What, what, what do you see has been the main maybe gotchas or errors that, that tend to be made in this area? Yeah, so the the primary areas that I 
see issues with when I'm looking at a new business and particularly looking at their budget forecasts and the likes is a couple of things. Uh, one of the first things that always jumps out for me is an incongruence in their numbers. It's not so much about the size of your numbers, whether you're going to be $100 million revenue in two years' time and all of those type of things. It's provided your numbers are defensible. Mm. So don't walk into an investor saying, I'm going to do $20 million bucks worth of revenue next year and have one sales rep <laughs> and no marketing budget. Yeah, right? right. It, yeah, it's like, yeah, no, you're not. Mm. Right? You know, it's, it's that type of stuff. So your numbers have got to be congruent and they've got to be defensible. Right. And you've got to really understand your numbers. You've got to understand your cost of goods sold. You've got to understand your sales cycle. Because if you don't understand all those type of things, how do you price your product? And I, and I think the key to that is you really do need to understand them. I, there's, a, there's a story I often tell to sort of illustrate this. Because I've, I've sat through a few, you know, quite a few investment pitches in my time. I remember one in particular where we were watching this pitch. And the, the entrepreneur, the founder was doing so well. It really was a fantastic pitch. And we were all sitting there going, wow, yeah, this is good. This is, yeah, tick, 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 tick. And then we got to the question and answers at the end. And somebody said, oh, you know, it's a bit of a technical question around unit sales against cost of sales and that sort of thing. And just drilling it into it a little bit. And as soon as the numbers came up, this poor CEO suddenly looked like a rabbit in the headlights. And and all the slick stuff went away, and it was fumbling around the numbers. And then eventually they said, oh, uh, I'll have to get back to you on that because I'm not really across the numbers. (laughs) And at that moment, the previous 20 minutes of fantastic work just disappeared in a puff of smoke. Yes, that is a true story. I did actually see that happen. So it's that sort of thing. I mean... You can't just repeat these numbers wrote and hope you can get away with it. I think that's, that's yeah, would you agree with that? that yeah, look, 100%. I've seen plenty of checks walk out of the room for exactly the same thing. I mean, we see it pretty regularly. Um, you know, we try to prevent it. But sometimes, you know, one of our, one of the issues we face is the sort of work that we do as a business is we can't always control the founder. I've sat in investor presentations, <laughs> right, where we've we've had the deck approved, we've had the financials approved, and then before you know it, the founder stuck up another slide. And yeah. it's like, of financials, and then someone in the room's done exactly that. Okay, so why is your burn going to be that in year three? And they just go to pieces, end mm. of the check's over. You're yeah. not going to get your money. So the key to a lot of your financials, it's one thing to have budget forecasts, but it's also a lot of it about your assumptions and the rules that you've put in place mm-hmm. to achieve those numbers yeah yeah. you know so what's the average sales rep able to sell per month Mm. what's the sales cycle at how many clients do you need an additional account manager what's your customer support look like all of a sudden you need new laptops more office space airline tickets lunches cars fuel conferences where's where are all those numbers so can you what are the assumptions that are you using in your budget forecast in order to achieve these outcomes yeah, and the other thing I've seen on occasions is you see uh, founders who are really keen on getting a really slick sort of business plan in place and that sort of thing, and then don't really pay attention to the appendices of the numbers that go on the back, and they go, well, I'm already across those. The key thing to understand is they're both telling the same story. Mm-hmm. It's just one is telling that story as, as writing and prose, and the other is telling it in terms of numbers. And if you put something in the business plan that's going to cost you something, it needs to be in the numbers. And if there's revenue you're going to say, it needs to be in the numbers, you know, so it's, I, I sort of say they're two sides of the same coin. You've just got to tell, tell that story consistently yeah. well, it's, know, both it's, ways. It's critical because, you know, the one thing, an investor will get excited about your business and then they'll spend the rest of the time looking for a reason not to invest 
in your business. <laughs> yeah. Right, so our job as capital advisors, as on marketers, we try to plug as many of those holes as we can so the investor can't say no. And one of the big areas is financials, and I always say to founders when I'm talking to them, and I learned my lessons way back when, you know, but when I did a family friends round and got 150 grand or 200 grand, I immediately allocated a large percentage of that to my accountants and my lawyers. Mm. So I could start to run my numbers, so I could start to learn my numbers, right, make sure my IP was locked up properly, make sure all my documentation was clean and tidy, and all the other things that investors look for, right? But critically, it's those numbers. Because, you know, you, and that's why three of my businesses, I stopped. Because I got to a point with my accountant where I thought, well, this is actually not going to work. So let's just How kill it. How far along had you gone with those businesses? Oh, a reasonable like distance. I was in development of the software and working the numbers and talking to investors. I'd done a family friends round, um, put, you know, raised $100,000, $150,000 uh, and got to a point where it just wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Mm. Right. Mm. You discover a whole bunch of things. You do your research. You catch up. I was, you know, and, and just all of a sudden you think, you know, well, this is just not going to fly. Because for me to achieve this, it's going to have to be 50 bucks per month per license and no one's going to pay that. So you didn't, so you didn't realise that the business model wasn't going to be viable until you'd done right. all, cut all that stuff. Yeah, basically. and it could yeah. take a little while to work that out. Mm. And unfortunately, that's just how it plays. I mean, the sooner you work it out, the better. Right, you do see a lot of founders that keep pressing along when they really should just get the hell out so um, if, so and if, move yeah. on to the next thing. Got it. So if you're a founder out there and you're going, yeah, look, I think I've got a, I really have got my brain around my business model. I'm convinced I've got an opportunity in the market, but I may be a bit challenged on the numbers. What would your advice be to them? Go and employ, go and get a CFO. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a big difference. A lot of founders I talk to go, hey, I've got a CFO. I go, well, who is it? And you, they put the person's name in front of you or the company. You go, yeah, no, no, they're an accountant. <laughs> right. They're not a CFO. Accountants typically look at historical numbers and CFOs look forward. And they do your budget forecasting and your scenarios and they help you model your business up to see whether it's going to be successful. And they're so, so critical to a business the minute you can hire a part-time cfo or preferably a full-time cfo they become your right-hand person as a founder right because they're going to keep you on the straight and narrow they're going to model stuff up for you to allow you to make smart decisions right so the sooner you can start to run your numbers and the sooner you can start to really thoroughly understand your business you might have an awesome idea but it doesn't mean anyone's going to buy it or it doesn't mean that you can actually get it to a price point that people are going to buy it or actually roll this out to a, in a way that's going to be massively scalable. Mm-hmm. So, so, so your message is get get around those numbers and get the right people around those numbers at the earliest possible opportunity. Spend the money. Yeah, <laughs> that's really often boils down to isn't yeah. it? it's spending. Spending. It's not about money. building the software because if, you know a lot of founders just want to build version one of their software, but if it's not going to work because you haven't modelled it properly, mm-hmm. then you're wasting your money there. Yeah. So get your head around your numbers, build your calculators, yeah, and work it out. Critical. No, that's, I think that's. I think that's really, really, really good advice. So that's that's fantastic. Any other any other key tips you'd like to to to, to give while whilst you're? Uh, yeah. Look, I, I think you know you like you know being a founder of a business. You know, my wife still wonders why I still do it. Um, I, I love it, but it's for me. It's about I like growing companies. Mm-hmm. Right, I like seeing that sort of success. Right, but you've really got to take your ego out of it 
and you've got to be very honest with yourself uh, about your business and you've got to pressure test your business and you've got to talk to people and do your research uh, and, you know, and fail fast. I know it's an old cliche, mm. um, but, you know, you fail fast. It's very, very stressful. It's cheaper. Right. It's much cheaper <laughs> and you're not going to annoy a whole bunch of family and friends who have just mm. given you 10 grand each because they've, you know, they decided they're going to back you and then all of a sudden you lose all their money. You know, so, you know, you've got to constantly question whether you're doing the right thing you know, keep going, don't stop doing it, just come up with another idea. Mm. Look at something, you know, that's different or, you know, maybe you've got to pivot, you know, and just change direction a little bit, but constantly be questioning whether you're doing the right thing, whether it's the right business to be in. And importantly, like any form of history, look back at stuff. I see HR platforms or I see travel platforms and just go back just a couple of years to when there was a whole bunch of these sort of things out there that burnt millions and millions of investor dollars and they've still got a bad taste in people's mouths you know maybe it's not the smart play yeah i think there's the, one of the things i sometimes talk about is 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 getting to the point where you can make that what i call the entrepreneurial leap of faith because you do reach a point where you kind of got to go yeah i've got to just try this now but you almost have to be, and I liken it to being a scientist, where you've got to be testing the hypothesis. And your hypothesis hypothesis is, will this business model work? So you've got to, you know, and you've got to almost approach it like, yes, I want it to work, but I've got to be quite dispassionate about testing that. You know, the same way a scientist will step back from it and say, right, let's do an A-B test and that sort of thing. And then you've re- once you've done all the work and you've really tested that hypothesis as much as you can, then maybe you're in a position to make that leap of faith. If you do it too early, though, you could, as you say, miss out some of that critical data. Mm. uh, And don't be scared to pivot. And don't be scared to pivot, yeah. Yeah, Believe it or not, Facebook still pivots at least once a year. Mm. Google, Mm. Amazon, they all still pivot. These giant companies still pivot and change their business models. We mightn't all see it as, as much as you will some pivots, but they're changing course. Just for the people yes, yes, who, say, who just say what a pivot is. Really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. For the people who don't quite understand the terminology and what that potentially means, would you explain what a pivot is? Sure. So a pivot is a changing of course, basically. So you might have been heading down one road with your business, thinking you've got the you know the next you know unicorn or whatever it is that your ambitions and desires are, but all of a sudden start to realise that maybe you're not quite in the right lane so if you pivot just a little bit change lanes move slightly or you know take the next left hand turn depending on how aggressive it's got to be but but shift your business might be enough to turn it into a success story and and, Um, and that's really very common isn't it yes Uh, a lot of businesses go through that at least one sometimes two Sometimes many as three. Pivots, well, we had to yeah. do that with um, the the COVID shutdown. Yeah, yep. a, yeah. Lot a lot of businesses literally yeah. had to yeah. pivot. They find, had to yeah. find a new way of doing business mm. to stay in business when there was a shutdown. Mm. And, and, the, and the business model had to change. Exactly. And yeah. what often happens in these situations is you're going down a certain route, but the market is saying to you, yes, but if only you did it like this, or mm. if it had this with it, or something like that, and then that's where you discover where your market opportunity really is. So, yeah, look, I, I massively say to people, look, ha- you know, be la- have a laser-like focus on the objective, but also listen to your market. You know, listen to what people actually want because they're going to be paying the money at the end of the day. So you've got to have that. You've got to have that flexibility. I think built it, built built into it. And don't be afraid to fail. Yeah. You know, yeah. the venture capital firm that backed my business in the US, a big Los Angeles-based group. Uh, you know, one of the big questions the partner there drilled me on was talking about all my failures. Because mm. as far as they're concerned, if you haven't failed, you're a risk. 
Yeah, that's, uh, you learn right. more. Well, as I often say, you learn more from your failures than you do your successes. Yeah. Or at least so, you so, so don't be concerned about it. <laughs> yeah. I happily talk about my failures. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, because as you said, you learn more from them, and I've learned a lot, mm. and I continue to mm. learn. Mm. You know, watching other businesses and things. So you know, it is an important part of your growth yeah, when it, it comes to being an entrepreneur. Yeah, that's great. Okay, Anthony, that's been a really interesting chat. Thanks very much. Uh, one thing we kind of like to end each discussion on with each guest is this this one sort of overriding little question, which is if you had one key piece of advice you would give to somebody starting out, startup founder, who was just thinking of getting started, what would that be? Do your research and make sure your partner's fully supportive of what you're about to do. Good point. Yeah, that's right. That's, yes, having having the having the right backup at home is critical as well, actually, yeah. in many, many regards. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But, but your research is the key thing. You, you hear all too often here in Australia, oh, I've got the only one of these in the world. It's like, yeah, no, you don't. <laughs> You know, you're not the only one in the world doing this stuff. So, you know, so do do your research and don't kid yourself. Yeah, no, no, that's uh, that, that's that's fantastic advice. So that's wonderful. So uh, thank you very much. Uh, if you're able to hang around and stay with us, you're welcome to do so. Uh, sure. We'll have uh, Warren coming up in just uh, in just a couple of minutes. But um, yeah, that's interesting stuff, isn't it? Fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Where can people contact you if they if they want to contact you? How can they get a hold of you? Yeah, a lot of people get me through LinkedIn, um, the On Market website, which is just onmarket.com.au. You'll find I've there you can contact me or, you know, via email, which I don't know whether it goes up on your website or no. how you want to do it. But, you know, but LinkedIn's probably the best way. I'm, mm. I'm there and pretty Anthony active there. Owen. That's it. Exactly. So, Anthony Owen from On Market, thank you very much for joining us. Tonight. No, thanks so much for the opportunity. It was good. That's great. Fantastic. Thank you. Time for another little musical interlude, I think. That's a very good idea. Here's some Joe Cocker. FM 100.3 Searchlight, The Entrepreneur's Journey. Well, that's nearly the first hour done and dusted. Gee, time flies. Shocking, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) This is Bay FM (laughs) 100.3 Searchlight. The Entrepreneur's Journey, you're here with Sharon and John, and we're talking things about numbers tonight. Now, we've got a brand new guest in the studio. If you've been following the Searchlight Entrepreneur's Journey since we basically started, and this is, what, this is the eighth episode? Eight, I think, yes, eight. 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 We've had we've had our um, our next guest on a couple of times because we've been, we've been talking numbers through the COVID pandemic and uh, a couple of other episodes as well so warren maris lovely to be here folks and nice to be in the flesh rather than over the phone yes and it does make it a bit of a difference doesn't it we're not we're not battling phone gremlins this time just a different kind of gremlin really but that's 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 that's, let's not talk about that there we go that's right that's that's okay warren welcome good evening fantastic to have you back back great to be here thank you for joining us so um so look, we, we're going to talk about understanding the numbers from 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 your perspective. But before we drill into that, as, as Sharon just mentioned, the last couple of times we've spoken, it was we were talking about we were in the darkest days of the COVID stuff, um, and we're certainly far from out of that, obviously. Mm. Um, but can we just should we just revisit that just very briefly? Um, Particularly in light of the there's a story on the news that we were playing earlier, in regards to uh, at the end of this month. JobKeeper gets rained back a little bit. So, JobKeeper what's your thoughts on that? 
yeah, yeah. Job, JobKeeper Mark too. It's pretty much following um, a trajectory that was hinted at very early on in the piece, whereby they said, right, we'll take this the original Mark One version through to towards the end of September. In fact, technically, it finished yesterday, uh, and then they've announced. They dudded us by several days. How rude. <laughs> The um, and then they've announced Mark Two and Mark Three, which are staged withdrawals, for want of a better term. Mm. Um, we're seeing pretty much what you would expect. the uh, The rules were a lot clearer, a lot tighter. the uh, The funding is less, um, and um, it, it's it will bring down the commitment of the government fairly substantially. Mm. How, how do you? How well do you think businesses that are surviving at the moment, possibly because of JobKeeper, what do you? What's your prediction about the impact this is going to have? Look, I think it's something that we're only going to know in hindsight. To tell you the truth, John, mm. um, we've got pundits on every side that see it, that are saying the government and the country obviously can't afford it. Um, there are others saying that uh, it's uh, it's going to cause you know multiple problems in many, many sectors. The truth, of like course, what? is... Well, the JobKeeper has kept many businesses alive mm -hmm. and we've seen it reduced for a full week from $1,500 a fortnight to $1,200. Uh, if you work part-time, that number is uh, falls under a different scale. So it's, it's come back fairly significantly and the, uh, the tests are a little bit tighter than they were last time around. So businesses that are struggling are just not going to see that level of injection of funds that they've seen in the past. Mm. And some of them won't qualify at all. Ouch. Many of them. Yeah, it's going to be a major change. In, oh, it is. Yeah, so now yeah. We're, all we've done to a degree is defer a lot of businesses going under. You couldn't have put it better. That, that's exactly right. Um, you know, it was... It was, you know, sustenance to keep uh, businesses alive that had some level of viability. Of course, there are many, many outcomes. You know, there's, there's no average business out there. Um, so we saw situations where some businesses technically qualified uh, for JobKeeper that weren't doing too bad. We saw others that um, didn't qualify and um, they missed out by a couple of percentage points. So it's uh, there are going, every every business is going to have a different result. But um, I think the truth of the matter is there's a lot of zombie businesses out there that have been kept afloat by JobKeeper, and then they're going to find it quite difficult. Okay, that's 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 a more than a little disconcerting i think yeah it's it's uh, yeah we always knew i guess we kind of knew this day was going to dawn but the day is going to dawn pretty soon and um quite what that's going to mean having said that i've been talking to a few other people really a few other people in some other industries recently i was talking to friends in the marine services industry just the other day apparently they're going gangbusters and have rushed off their feet in the marine services, yeah, yeah, yeah. Meanings, meaning stuff for fixing and doing boats and that sort of thing, you know. And they, well, they yeah, there's, yeah, there's there's a lot of people that have had time on their hands. Like, yeah. let's get out. So you do have this, this unusual combination of things where you've got some business, some industries are, are, are going gangbusters and really busy. And you've got others who are just wondering where the next customer is coming from. So you've got to... There's been a, a massive turnaround. Like yeah. Bunnings has just gone 
gangbusters because everyone had time on their hands. Yeah. The gardening say, sector has just boomed. Hundreds of nearly 200%, mm. something like that. It's but they can't. Yeah. They can't uh, imagine that they're going that that business model and the, the gardening sector is going mm. to continue booming mm. because it's going to change. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a yin and yang here. Mm. Oh yeah, and there were there were things that that people didn't anticipate. Um, for instance, uh, if you wanted to buy a puppy, a small white fluffy thing, the price tripled. <laughs> really? Absolutely. During COVID. Yeah. Yeah, I, I spoke to uh, I spoke to a vet and said that we were looking to acquire a fur baby, and um, and the word I got was, well, expect to pay set up to seven thousand dollars. <gasps> Uh, yeah. We're talking a, a, a credit that pre-COVID was probably two to two and a half thousand dollars. Heck! Um, her observation was: wait till three months after everybody's gone back to work, there'll be lots of them on the market. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! There That's we go. Bizarre. All right. well, okay, Intra- fascinating stuff. But uh, but we we need to turn to our uh, to our topic at hand. So uh, yeah, Warren, thanks 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 for the oversight. Um, We'll, we'll we'll go on and drill into the understanding the numbers bit in a few minutes, but I think we'll uh, we'll take a little break, have a word from our sponsors, and play a record. How about we do that? That sounds like a great idea. Do you have spider veins or varicose? Live and local across the bay, Bay FM one hundred point three. You're listening to Searchlights: The Entrepreneur's Journey with John and Sharon. And with us in the studio is uh, Warren Maris from Magnus Business Advisors. We were talking a few minutes ago about. Uh, COVID, the COVID support packages that are finishing, but the topic for the evening is about understanding the numbers and how important that is for startup startup entrepreneurs and founders. Um, Warren, if we can just sort of move on to that topic a little bit, you 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 spend a bit of time dealing with quite a few founders. Um, what what do you see are the common sort of things that aren't maybe paid as much attention to in this space as they should be? It's very much like uh, like the building game, John. If you've got good foundations. You can build yourself a good business. And too many people think they can put up the shingle and start and it's all going to roll out before them. I think as someone once said, build it and they will come. I'm pretty sure that only worked once. That was once a good a- movie. <laughs> <laughs> but many times they don't. And if you don't plan and give people the opportunities and the communication to make them come, they're not going to be there. So we use a model with uh, uh, with startups that we refer to as the business equation. And we show people that there is a direct relationship between their marketing, which is the core or the, the start of any type of business, all the way through to their bottom line after tax. And there are direct linkages which each, with each of those steps along the way. And if you can master that business equation, master the numbers, if you will, you can master your business. Mm. But uh, but how are, do you often do you often see founders who really struggle with that though? Do you often see ones who, who are not good at getting across the business angle and really do need help and support? Though? Yes, absolutely. It's it's probably I've never done any stats on it, but it's certainly mm. more than half. Really? Absolutely. Wow. Okay. Um, you know, they've been told that you know go out there and work hard and good things will come. Well, that's pretty disappointing to a lot of people. Well, that's the, that's the what you get taught at school. That's jobs, J O B. Just yeah, over broke. That's the one. Mm. Um, if you if you want a genuine business, one where you can employ people, where you can go on holidays, and not be terrified that your business is going to stop, you've got a big big job in front of you of getting it done. But it can be done. 
but you've got to be prepared to make the effort, do the discovery, find out all of those things that you need to find out. We work in a very complex world these days. I mean, I'm not sure if you heard, but the, uh, in the last sitting of uh, the Queensland Parliament, uh, legislation was introduced that c- will make it a criminal offence to underpay your staff. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Now, good idea. Mm. I, I know for a fact that people do underpay. I've never. I can, I can honestly say I have never met anybody in my business career who deliberately underpays their staff. But I've met many that underpay their staff because the system is very complex. Yeah. Equally, yeah. I've met many that have overpaid. Okay, their staff. so <laughs> briefly talking about the legislation, have they made the legislation easier? No. no they, they've merely upped the penalties. Um, for committing a mistake. So, mm. you know, the, the, the penalties for employers in particular around superannuation, underpayment, etc., etc., are life-changing. And as we often say to our clients, there are there's only one good life-changing event. That's when you win lotto. The rest of them aren't good. <laughs> so you don't want to suffer a life-changing event in business. But but that's dealing with a case where, as you say, in most cases that would have been something made, you know, that would have been an error. You know, so most yeah. people don't set out to underpay their staff or, un- or overpay their staff. But what about, what about the things where we're talking about some level of financial understanding? I mean, from what I can see, having spent a lot of time talking to, to founders and people doing startups and that sort of thing, is, you know, there's a base level of understanding of, of a simple profit and loss. You know, yep. I've taken in X amount of money, my costs are Y, and I deduct that, and that's going to be my profit, and then the gross profit and variations on that thing. There seems to be a good understanding at that level. As soon as you start talking about things like balance sheets or cash flow forecasts, it suddenly all starts to seem to get a bit harder. That's that's accountant stuff, isn't it? Yeah, but on the other hand, if you're planning if you're planning a business, you kind of do need to have an understanding of some of this stuff, I think. I would I would argue you do. You do. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. Um, I think you know Anthony pointed out in the in the last uh, segment that when you're looking at the numbers, understand that every time you tweak something, it has ripple effects. Mm-hmm. You can't magically make your cost of sales 5% less. You've got to be able to show how you are going to achieve that. What are the steps that are going to bring your cost of sales down by 5%? Mm. And um, to me, that's what business planning is all about, reducing those numbers to a series of executable steps. Mm. So from your experience in dealing with a, a lot of businesses on this, what are, what are the most common misunderstandings you come across or common numbers that really should be understood that often aren't? Look, that, it's, a, it's a vast range. Mm. Um, I, I once uh, had, had a, uh, a couple came in and they'd started up a, uh, a gardening business. Now, um, that's a tough business. There's no barriers to entry. You are forever competing against somebody who'll do it a dollar cheaper mm. um, and you'll lose your business to that person. And I sat down and went through their numbers and showed them that in order for them to achieve the financial goals they wanted to achieve, they had to work 100 hours each. Mm. Ouch. Yes. Oops. <laughs> so it, it, there wasn't an understanding between what they were selling their products for and what that entailed in terms of hours. Now, a lot of people go, oh, that's a simple thing. But it's not. If, if you are given to understand that hard work will bring, will bring great results, mm. and that's all it needs, that is the sort of outcome you're going to get. Um, 
a, a, a lack of understanding of the compliance areas. We talked about employment. Yeah. It's an absolute minefield these days. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you have a plan that is going to entail, uh, you know, employees, you've got to come to grips with that. Mm-hmm. And it, it's the awards are complex, yeah. to say the very least. Mm. Uh, the compliance around superannuation these days is completely unforgiving. That one day late, you are up for a 200% penalty, non-tax deductible, Ouch. and it doesn't die if the company goes into liquidation, it passes to the director. Mm. So merely missing quarterly superannuation can be a death knell for a struggling company. Mm. And, and there are a lot of rules like that where the liability can wash through the business directly to the directors. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you know, um, uh, if you trade insolvently, knowingly insolvent, or should have known mm. as the last adjustment was made, in other words, you could have gone to an accountant and an accountant could have told you that what you are doing is not going to improve, but you just went on regardless. If that can be shown after the event, you can own 100% of the creditors of the business personally. Yeah, yeah. Joint and several liability and all that kind of stuff. So That's it. Can it. Be pretty, which can be pretty spooky and dangerous. Just don't get yourself into that situation would be the, would be the ideal indeed, thing. Indeed, John, indeed. And again, if you've got a good understanding of the numbers in the business, I think part of it is about having a feel of the numbers in a business about what numbers are right, what are, what's in the parameter of what should be normal, and then how you deal with things that are abnormal, you know, and what is an abnormal number and why you need to pay attention to it. That sort of and look, in, in, in many occasions, you have people that have never had their business benchmarked. Mm-hmm. And so they think that having a 30% GP, gross profit, pardon me for uh, slipping yeah. into the abbreviations <laughs> yeah, there, the <laughs> uh, that having a 30% gross profit is, is reasonable. Um, and we, we sit down and go through them and show that if you can't hit a 40% gross profit, you can't have any reasonable bottom line profit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and, so, and, and that applies to, to a number of other variables as well within a business, I think, that you really need, do need to understand. So you're listening to BFM 100.3, uh, Searchlights, The Entrepreneur's Journey. We're here talking to Warren Maris about understanding your numbers. And, um, yeah, there are some pretty important numbers to understand, aren't there? Certainly are. Before we have uh, a little bit of a musical interlude, I just want to mention if you are in business, we have a wonderful thing called Free Plug Friday. Friday. All day, every Friday, right here at Bay FM. If you're a business and you want to have a short free plug, help out with your marketing just a wee bit, then let us know. Listen out every Friday for your mention. Just send your business details to office number two at bayfm.org.au. So that's office number two at bayfm.org.au. Free plug Friday. Here at BayFM 100.3. We'll be back after this. Journey on BayFM 100.3. Wonderful, Mr. Jeff Truscott. And it is the Entrepreneur's Journey Searchlight, BayFM 100.3. And the Hollies, long cool woman in a black dress. Oh, we nearly got one here. Lisa, coming up soon. In the meantime, we still have our wonderful guest, Warren Maris. And Warren, do you have any more advice for us? Actually, I do have one last question. You know how Anthony Owen was talking about getting a CTO for founders and for businesses? CFO. 
CFO. Yep. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I've got both of them on my brain. Um, a CFO. Is that? Uh, do you do that in your capacity as well? Yes, Anthony might dispute it as uh, as he talked about a, a difference between accountants and CFOs as an accountant look backwards and a CFO look forwards. But um, we deal with a lot of people who come in as startups, so we there's no backwards to look at. <laughs> True. <laughs> so we have to help them put for, put together the numbers yeah. that enable them to be able to look be, to be able to look into the future, and moreover put in, in place systems that can measure the expectations or the outcomes against the expectations. Obviously, you sit down and do a brand new business, you're not going to get it right. To the extent you do, that's called a fluke. But um, as long you as... You would have some kind of template to work towards of like this is these are the, the statistical numbers that we're going to be looking at yes yeah absolutely but it does it'll, it'll vary business to business all businesses are unique in their own way but uh, you know there are things that we need to monitor you know uh, KPIs um, or, or well how would you do a KPI for a startup? Okay, um, let's take a, uh, a startup who's a tradie. Um, so what we'd do is we'd say, okay, how many calls can you do a week? And he said, well, you know, a call takes uh, an average of an hour with uh, 30 minutes travel. I'm prepared to work 50 hours so I can do this many calls. And say, okay, fine. How are we going to generate that traffic that enables you to work to that level? Are we are we going to do Facebook advertising? Do you have existing businesses that you can go to and talk to to uh, to get uh, to get work? Can you talk to your friends in the same trade that will throw you work that they're not interested in? So we sit down, we identify those marketing channels, and we and we put together the, the expectations from each of those channels. Then we record what transpires, and we can modify the uh, the model on the trot, so to speak, so that we're getting a realistic picture of what's happening. After a little while, we look at it and go, okay, this is what's really happening out here. These are your turnover, um, turnover indications, right? Our overheads are higher than we expected and will continue to be so. Um, what can we do to fix this so we can get back to our original projected profit? And again, it comes back to having executable steps. That's really, really important. If you get stuck in motherhood statements, I want to increase my profit by 40%. Yeah, well, good luck with that. Um, it's just not going to work. Right? You need to go back and say, right, is it going to be in my sales volume? Is it going to be in my G GP? Am I going to rein in my overheads? Am I going to run a marketing campaign? Am I going to, am I going to go to Bay FM and take some, uh, take some ads on the radio so all the locals know me? Because I only work in the Redlands. Um, what are the things you are going mm. to do? Mm. With a measurable result. Absolutely. Measurability is everything. And that's and and the point you made earlier about it, those what I would call the lead indicators, those things that are going to that are going to happen today that are going to indicate tomorrow's turnover. Yes, number of inquiries, number yep. of visitors to your website, you know, number number of quotes you've done, you know, all of those key things. I mean, you should be able to work out metrics for what you need to do with those in any given period of time to know that you're going to get the certainty of that business in, in in the future. What you don't want under any circumstances is to go to your accountant. 12 months later and find out that it's a failure. 
<laughs> right, I mean, that, that's, that's just disastrous. Mm. You need to know that you want five inquiries a day. You're going to close half of those. You will have, uh, you know, ten, ten lots of repeat business per week, etc., etc., etc. Where is that work coming from? And if you can't point to it and you can't measure it, it probably doesn't exist. Warren, I know, I know the, I know we, in, in my line of business, we do sometimes, we can on occasions be a little rude about accountants because we talk about them in terms of being backward looking and we say accounting is a past tense term for a reason. There are some accountants though who do understand that and, under, and know that it's really important to look at the future indicators and I know you're one of those who really, you think, you think businesses need to be forward looking as much as backward looking. Yeah. Oh, oh, very much so. I mean, yeah. you can't, you can't drive a car looking in the rear view mirror. Good point. Like that one. Might use that one actually. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you go to their website, you can see it. That's it's all there, right on the front page. So, so speaking of your website, what is it? Uh, www.magnusgroup, M-A-G-N-U-S group, spelled in the normal manner, .com.au. If you do a search for Magnus Accountants, it'll come up pretty much right up the top. Like, thank you, Dr. Google. Now, what kind of resources do you have on your page? We've spoken about a, a number of different uh, routes that that people need to take and steps that they need to to follow. Yep. For business planning, etc., and so forth. Do you have that kind of information on your website? Look, I don't because it it tends to be too generic, and you really need to look at each individual business as to how they work. Yep, we can talk in generic terms, but how applicable is that? That's where you need to sit down understand the client, what that client's skill set is, where they're they're inclined to be good, the things that they like to stay away from. I always get scared if I've got a guy who says, I don't like numbers. I think, well, Mm. you will really need to think that through. We need to find somebody. Just turn it around and say, do you want to be paid? (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's it. Do you want to be paid? Yeah. Okay, we need to work out the numbers. We we try not to scare them too much up front. (laughs) (laughs) It is all about the numbers. But if somebody wants to contact you, they can can track you down that way. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's brilliant. Warren, that's been absolutely fascinating. Again, uh, thank you for coming and and paying us a visit and, uh, and helping us point us in the right direction some of this stuff. It's been really happy to be here. It's, it's always a great experience. Thanks, BFM. Yeah, no, absolute pleasure. Our pleasure. And Warren has uh, has been certainly one of the advertisers on BFM. And yeah, yes, thank you. We need those. They're important. So. <laughs> <laughs> Help with our business model. Help with our business model. Absolutely. Let's take a little break and we'll be back with more soon. Searchlight, the entrepreneur's journey on Bay FM 100.3. Live and local. Welcome back. And great music. Great Don't music. Don't you have a story about Shepherd? Shepherd Ears, uh, a Logan band, they're just absolutely amazing. Weren't you saying something I, about your son? Yeah. You know, kind of hangs out. He, a long time back. And he was into doing video, and I've offered to be in a video, and I think one of the Shepherd guys were in the video. So. Hey, that's cool. So uh, yeah, was, but that was that was a long time ago before they were famous. Hey, claim it anyway. Absolutely, you got to take you got to take every single claim you can get. That's what I reckon. <laughs> Absolutely, we're here on the entrepreneur's journey, and uh, our topic this evening is understanding the numbers. And uh, I'm delighted to welcome our next guest, Lisa Papa is the founder of Little Kids Business, which is an online e-commerce store. 
so hailing from a marketing background, Lisa was a finalist in the best e-commerce store category for the AU Mum Mumpreneur. Can I ever pronounce that? Can I have a go? Second Australian go Mumpreneur. Mumpreneur. Yeah. Mumpreneur Awards to 2019, and has also been nominated as one of the top 50 people in e-commerce for 2020 by Inside Retail Magazine. Lisa. Welcome to the Entrepreneurs Congratulations. Gen. Congratulations, yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's lovely to be here. So how, how, do you, how do you win an award like that? What's, yeah, that's really cool. Oh, well, <laughs> so basically I was just, um, oh, they, it's funny, these things tend to find you a little bit, but I do have a public relations background. Right. And that can be a little bit helpful. So sometimes I'll, you know, sort of put things out there and see what sticks. Um, but, yeah, no, I'm very, very honoured to, um, to have both of those organisations, um, you know, contact us and certainly we'll be working with them in the future as well. Sounds fantastic. So I'm curious about what's this little kid's business? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so this all came about because I'm a mum and let's face it, mums and families with kids are just really busy and we're really time poor. So Little Kids Business is a collection of Australian online kids brands. Uh, we have 200 kids brands collectively selling through us and uh, basically it's selling just a what? way... Like clothing? Yeah. Yeah, bits of everything. We've got um, we've got sixty two categories within our marketplace. So um, everything ranging from. We've actually divided into three main categories. So we've got baby with lots of subcategories, especially in the furniture section. Um, we've also got little kids. We've broken that down. And we've also got school kids because school kids are inherently quite difficult to purchase for. Um, so we sell a product, for example, called a three doodler pen, which my son... A three doodler pen. Yeah, to give you an example... Like, this my, is a boy's pen for the dudes? Well, no, boys and girls. So basically doodling, it's... Doodling. It's doodling. A, it's, it's now. 3D yes. pen that 3D has pen. plastic inserts and you can create 3D images from it and um, that's certainly one of our most popular gifts at the moment for school kids um, so we do we do range quite a lot of um, different categories and variations but we just try and make it easy by pulling all of these brands in together so parents can shop pull all of them in their cart and they can just pay once that's fantastic. Yeah. So when did you set this up and, and why did you set it up? Well, I fell into it a little bit at the beginning. So I originally wrote a book for my little boy when he was ditching his dummy. Um, so the book was called Daniel and the Dummy, or is called Daniel and the Dummy Fairy. And um, I was actually selling that book and I approached an opening fairy door company and offered to partner up with them. And that went so well that I asked another brand and another brand and we now have over 200 of them. Um, so basically it's just sort of something that has eventuated also with my previous business experience. So I've done a lot of business advisory roles mm. um, and I think it's just inherently <laughs> natural to create something and to sell um, when you've been a business advisor in the past. So, um, so yes, yeah, so I'm really proud to work with some wonderful small brands who are mums working from home and also some really really large brands um, and certainly some like large buying groups. So mainly Australian? Every single gift is shipped from within Australia. Um, like so you're the Amazon for kids. Yeah, I like to think of myself like that. <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> Look out, Jeff Bezos. He should come. 
<laughs> I'm not quite as tenacious as him just yet, but I might get there. I like the yet. <laughs> and and take it, Amazon for kids. Yeah. Um, but we're certainly proud to represent some really wonderful brands. Lots of our brands have won awards, um, and they are all, all wonderful quality products. Fantastic. So, so you went into this with a... You said you had a background in PR, marketing? Yes, yeah, so I did PR at uni, um, and then from there I got sort of more heavily into the travel industry. Um, so I worked for New South Wales Tourism as a business advisor for quite a few years. I actually took out an award for most cost-effective um, business advisor for the entire Tourism Bureau um, at the age of 22. Um, so that was quite a quite an accomplishment. I've got a trophy at home for that one. Um, but basically, I think I've always been, um, you know, I have been a little bit of a money miser. Maybe it's because I was so poor at university. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but basically, um, then I went into... Um, I went into work for um, Complete Cruise Solutions, so I was a business advisor for P&O Princess and Cunard Cruise Line, so managing million-dollar budgets on that scale. Um, and then after that, I actually went to be a business advisor for a really large pharmaceutical company. So you do these business advisor roles, but, yeah. but did you really have when you started your business? Did you have any training in the the numbers or the accounting, or did you did you how how equipped did you feel to deal with that? Yeah, well, started? it was really easy before because I was using everyone else's money. <laughs> Um, so suddenly, okay, it's always good. <laughs> suddenly, when I've got my money on the line and my and my very supportive husband leaning over my shoulder, um, you do you do really have to sit down and take things very seriously. Um, in terms of the finances, um, I really tried to make sure that I surrounded myself with people from the beginning who right. could sh- show me the numbers. Mm. Um, so one of the first things I did was actually um, hire someone more in a bookkeeping role, but I've actually moved on from that. I've actually got someone now on board um, who's been 20 years with Qantas and um, they're certainly very well equipped um, to you know forecast and you know for us to actually she was she was making me accountable today <laughs> for some Facebook advertising that we it's like why did you do done? this how much did you spend what's the return <laughs> so she's she's there to keep me in line and, and make sure that I'm being a good girl with my money um, but also it's just it's just good to to feel like you're in control and I think that's probably one of the most important things because I think that sometimes when you don't know your numbers you can feel like you're spiraling a little bit and that's a really awful feeling so mm. I think that when you're in business one of the best things you can do is is to make sure that you do have your your, your numbers ready and right absolutely and, and as I said you're echoing something Anthony said that the, earlier in the evening is if you mm. if you're not comfortable with it find somebody who isn't hire them as a CFO you know get get mm. get some get or surround yourself with the people who can help you with these with these kinds but you kind of fell into your business. You started out with the book for your son and just started to, to collaborate, 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 collaborate. So you didn't actually have the, the business plan that said, we're going to do this. Wasn't that sort of developed on the fly? Yeah, and I have pivoted and spun. I've heard that word used this evening so mm. many times. Um, you feel so like a spinning top. So yeah. at, what, at what point does the pivot become a spin? That's yeah, I, well, <laughs> I felt like I spun out of control at one stage there. Um, but basically, I think that, um, yeah, I, I really... It did start off originally being, you know, something 
think that I was just sort of falling into. At one stage, I sat down and went, okay, I need to create a formal business model on this. Um, and the first thing I did do was write my business plan and, you know, sort of work out my branding guidelines and all those sorts of things um, and, and get a set plan before I even, you know, went ahead and built the marketplace. Um, but certainly in terms of pivoting, um, I, originally I wanted to come out with a, a marketplace where I was supporting mums in business and then I realised that, you know, that there were quite a lot of people doing that and I really needed to, to get stronger with my business model. So um, so certainly I'm, I'm not just focused on mums in business, I'm incorporating a broader range these days. Fantastic. Okay. And, but so uh, most of the business these days is the e-commerce on online stuff. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. So, so in terms of you looking at the numbers, and again, we were talking earlier to Warren about looking at those precursor numbers and all those other things. So what are, what, what are the key numbers that you tend to look at in your own business? So every day I always, it's pretty much an early morning routine for me. I'll log on and have a look at, um, my daily sales, daily total sales for the day before. Um, we also tend to look at things like how many coupons were used, were there any refunds that were processed Um, and that'll certainly bring us down to give us an indication of how we're rolling I know every day how many many dollars worth of sales, gross sales that that I'd like to achieve and that's certainly something that I'm I'm glancing at. So so in terms of as the month rolls on sometimes we hit a point where where we've made budget early and we're like great and we're just quick to kind of set a new new milestone and go okay this is the new the new one and I, I sort of don't let myself get too excited by reaching the other one I kind of go no no I'm going for this now and then I'll quickly go for the next one but um but certainly looking at the numbers is incredibly important it's something that I do every day and every piece of marketing that we do as well we're really focused on the numbers so um so it is very important in our business so you you've got all these clever online mechanisms for tracking marketing you know how what's what's led to click-throughs and all that kind of stuff. yeah so we so we do have um so Google Analytics is very widely known um so certainly we do utilize that we've also got another um plugin into our system which is called monster insights um which does give us a lot more information again and also there's um in terms of marketing there's quite a quite a lot of programs that can incorporate into our website and feed off our live data and our 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 audiences um and basically it can it can do marketing campaigns um that target our specific lookalike audiences so we do a lot of that um, and that provides us with extremely detailed data as well there's some really clever tech around mm, this kind mm. of thing and these a, days a lot of the yeah. lookalike stuff would be on facebook correct yeah, yeah a lot of it's on facebook and instagram um but we do do advertising outside of the online marketing in that sense we do like to to have partnerships as well um so i think it's quite important in business to make friends um so just find somebody with the same target market as you who's not directly competing and see if you can work together well that sounds like you did that from the get-go and you've built this this business this platform by doing exactly that is is identifying someone who is in a similar niche to you and then partnering with them yep definitely brilliant business model (laughs) 
Thank you. And, and you, we were chatting the other day, and you were saying you were saying that actually this COVID period has actually been pretty good for your business. Yeah, well, we've had um, obviously all of our main sales are coming out of Victoria um, because they're not easily accessing the stores. Yeah. Um, so, and we do have a lot of really large items, um, sand pits, um, cubby houses. We're nearly out of, but they're about to come back into stock. Um, but also even people shopping for things um, such as prams and cots. Um, so we do we do have an awful lot of, of things that, that have been in really, really high demand. Um, so I would say the, the highest demand thing of all is probably the sand pits um, because everybody's suddenly got to entertain a two or three-year-old at home. Um, so I know that if I had a two or three-year-old and I was at home, then I'd certainly be looking for extra entertainment options. <laughs> it's it's a while since I've entertained two or three year olds at home, but I think it could be coming back round again very shortly. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's right. So grandpa, mm, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> But that's, yeah, of course, I'd have never thought about that, ordering a sandpit because you're stuck at home. I just, that wouldn't have gone on my radar at all. That's amazing. That's, 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 that's really impressive. You're listening to Bay FM 100.3. Uh, we're here with Searchlight, the entrepreneur's journey. We're talking to Lisa Papa of Little Kids Business, uh, a local e-commerce startup who's doing some really amazing stuff. We're going to be back very shortly talking to Lisa a little bit more and finding out a little bit more about the numbers that drive her business. In the meantime, we'll be back soon. Disappointed with the speed of your NBN connection? Was your ADSL faster? In excess, don't change. You're listening to Bay FM 100.3 Live and Local. It's Searchlight, the entrepreneur's journey. And tonight's topic is understanding the numbers. And we're here talking to Lisa Papa of Little Kids Business. Lisa, whenever I discuss anything to do with business with anybody running an e-commerce store, there's one topic always crops up, and it's abandoned carts. Would you like to, first of all, explain what an abandoned cart is? I can. So an abandoned cart is basically when someone comes to your online store, they click to add an item to the cart, and they might add two or three items. On our website, a majority of our sales are a minimum of two items. Um, Then they get to the checkout, and then for whatever reason, maybe they've forgotten their PayPal password, or they've just had a change of mind. Or the they credit suddenly, card's going you know, up to max. Yeah, or with our clientele, a two-year-old suddenly woken up from their daytime nap, um, then they they abandon the cart. They don't end up completing the full payment process. Um, so for e-commerce stores, sixty-eight percent is the average for abandoned carts. So what? it, it seems a lot. It's incredibly high. Is that, is that for real? Is yeah, that that's a, industry yeah. average. Yeah, great. Wow. There's a decimal point something in there but I well, rounded yeah, it to no, 68. Just, yeah. 68% of people go all the way through to to the cart and then, for whatever reason, stop. Yes. That's yeah. amazing. So um, we realised that this was a problem pretty early on. I was gobsmacked by the amount of abandoned carts, as you both are. <laughs> you can tell um, we are. Yeah, so it's an incredibly high number. So basically um, we sat down and had a discussion about it last year and we decided to set up, you know, some abandoned cart chases and made sure that we did our best to try and, you know, touch on, um, I guess, the curiosity that those particular customers were originally feeling. So 
we'll tend to send them um, one email um, within four hours and it's and it's got a direct link so they don't need to look the product up again there's a picture of the product they can click it it takes them directly to the checkout um, we then send out a second email to those people who haven't actioned the first email and the second email will go out 24 hours later um, so we do tend to find that since we've done that um, our percentage has improved um, but certainly it's it's not you know it's it's not the tiny figures that you'd hope so when you are going in and you are selling online um, the reality is that there are going to be an awful lot of people that are dreamers out there and I know myself that I've done it um, so so certainly, you know, it's just one of those things and you need to you need to factor it in, but you also need to consider what you're going to do um, to make sure that you do your very best to try and um, pull those customers back. After all, they've entered your sales funnel, mm. they nearly got to the end um, and then they got cold feet. So you, you've just got to warm their feet up. <laughs> mm. so think, thinking about it though, I can, I can now think of occasions where I've gone through the cart stage just to do something like find out what the delivery cost is. Yeah, well, yeah. that's the reason that Little Kids Business actually has free shipping. So every ah. single item on our yeah. marketplace, the price you see is the price you pay. Um, and the main reason that we did that is because we do have so many different businesses um, that are selling through us. We didn't want someone to select from, you know, maybe they might be buying um, a pram and then a baby bib and then a bowl. And they might come from three different companies. And we didn't want those companies... Um, shipping fees to accumulate at the cart because that is one of the main reasons that people actually mm. abandon the cart. Mm. Um, so we've certainly got the policy that the price you see is the price you pay. That makes perfect sense. Having mm. said that, I, I think it, thinking back to it now, there's been a few occasions where I've gone through that process with the cart. And then, sure enough, as you put, I love that term, abandoned cart chasers. I think that's brilliant. Um, the chaser has come through, and it's been like, and it's been like, usually the next, within a few hours, it's like, oh, you abandoned the cart. Then the next day is, would you like an extra ten percent discount off your order if you carry on with it and that sort of thing? So I've now got to the point where I sometimes will not go through with these deliberately, <laughs> just to get the just to see whether additional discount comes through. You know. Oh my gosh! Well, that's the way the game's played sometimes, isn't it? <laughs> because you know, some never of this, thought of that. Some of this tech is out there and does it. It happens surprisingly frequently, which I shouldn't really say that, but but I'm guessing so. You're surprisingly smart frequently, to do it. you abandon cart. That's not good. <laughs> yeah. So now now suddenly the sixty eight percent figure is starting to make. Yeah. Because yes. yeah. <laughs> there's people out, like me out there gaming it. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I'm sure I'm sure our customers don't do that. Of course, yeah. That's it. Mm. But no, I you just give them a whole bunch of ideas. Yeah. <laughs> Blame <laughs> him. Blame <laughs> him. Sorry. Oh, sorry. I'm a customer advocate at the end of the day. No, no, business advocate as well. So, so, so the abandoned cart thing is 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 a, is a big thing that a lot of people in e-commerce talk about. But the one of the other big topics is this this thing called LTV. Uh, you know, customer... Oh, no, L, uh, hang on, customer... No, I've got the terminology wrong. Lifetime, lifetime value. value. That's value. the... It was LTV. I got me, I got me terminology mixed up. Lifetime value of a customer. Do you, just give us a, your overview of what that's all about. Well, with the... Well, this is just it. Like, with um, Little Kids Business, it would have been really easy for us to go, you know what, we're going to make a baby shop because there's... When people have a baby, they do tend to go shopping um, and there are an awful lot of wonderful brands out there that we had to support. But we did sit down and go, well, hang on a minute. Those kids are going to grow up. And then we're not going to have that customer anymore. So we actually decided to have 
three completely separate landing pages of our website. One is for babies, and we've got all the baby things on it. One is for little kids, and one is for school kids. And if we're doing a marketing campaign that's got a school kids topic, then we will refer them back to the landing page that looks like a school kids shop because somebody who's got a school kid doesn't want to go to a baby shop and vice versa. So we're certainly, um, we certainly think about that quite a lot. Um, also what we like to do is we really like to make sure that we take advantage of the people that love us. So if somebody has gone through and they have gone all the way through the checkout, they haven't abandoned their cart, they're walking away a happy customer, then we do have a pop-up which comes up on the screen and basically says, hey, would you like to make a little bit more money by telling your friends about us? Um, So that particular person can then become a Little Kids Business affiliate um, and they get their own little code and they can share their code with their mum, their dad, their sister, their brother. Um, who get a small discount and then that person actually earns a percentage of their friend's purchases. Um, so there are just, I guess their affiliate programs are one of the newer ways, um, but it's certainly just a way that we like to try and make sure that we, we hold that customer for a little bit longer. So we want to step hold their hand through baby into toddler into school years pretty much we've got gifts up to around age 14 um, and then we just like to you know really encourage everybody to stay with us and share the love so you're driving up the, the lifetime value of the customer by making sure you can be there for them for the next stage yes cool. yes okay. definitely and the other the other common sort of one that's kicked around in, in the e-commerce and software as a service SaaS world is is this concept of understanding your cost of customer acquisition yes does that is that something you look at and measure? Yeah, definitely. Probably more when we're thinking about our marketing. Mm. Um, so we very much actually today we were looking at some Facebook marketing and that was exactly the topic that we were discussing. Um, so we're looking at how much it costs to get that customer. Um, there are some ads that we've done where we've looked at it and gone, oh my God, those customers cost so much money. Um, you know, maybe we should rethink that particular ad. So we'll sit down and we'll look at some of the more successful ads. Um, it's really surprising though, because um, in the e-commerce space, you would expect that um, directly marketing gifts might be the best way to sell your gifts. Um, but it's actually not the case. If you're sharing articles and blog topics that are helpful to families, quite often they're actually the ones that that are, are a better cost. Um, so people will tend to read the article, they'll like the, the topic, they'll click on a link within the ad and they'll go through and make a purchase. So originally if you told me that was um, the case, I would have said, no, it's you know, it's the ads that say shop now. Um, but it's actually, in, in reality, sometimes it's just being helpful that actually leads to the sale more often. So that's that's the classic content marketing yeah. type, type thing. It's about getting the click through, not necessarily from an advert. We don't want to sell you something. We'd just like to help you, give you information about this, this area that you're you're interested in. Yeah. yeah, and it comes down to the old saying that people don't like to be sold to. Mm. Um, so that's that's very much something that that we are mindful of in our, in our advertising. Um, but there are many ad campaigns that we've done in the past 
past that we would not repeat um, because we just looked at them in the end and went, wow, that turned out to be really expensive. Um, so there were that certainly I know for us um, the things that work the best um, tend to be the slightly more subtle things. Right. So, but, so you're constantly tweaking these, adjusting them, looking at new campaigns. Yeah. Doing yeah. A-B tests on comparisons of campaign effectiveness, all these all these, all these good e-commerce-y things. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And the thing is, too, it can change per topic as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, rocking chairs. If, if we do anything that has a rocking chair in it, we will sell a ton of rocking chairs. Um, so that <laughs> tends to be a, a product um, that is incredibly popular. I know I had one for my two children. Um, so, um, so yes, yeah, so it is an incredibly popular topic. Um, but you might have an article that's related to, you know, helping your baby sleep. And you might have mention of a rocking chair, but that will certainly get all the hits um, over some of the other things that you're actually marketing within it. That's really interesting. But in amongst this alphabet soup of numbers, you know, with all their different sort of measures and different ways of measuring things, does that overall lead you to a position where you can forecast demand the business more accurately? Yeah, definitely. Um, so Natalie Natalie has got um, a forecast done. She's actually got a she's got a three year forecast done actually, um, but she tweaks it constantly. Um, so basically, she's done quite a long forecast for us, and we look at our trajectory constantly. Um, and then things will come up, and we'll tweak them. Um, but certainly, also there are costs that you can as certainly as a new business owner as well. You can you don't know what you don't know. And <laughs> And suddenly something could pop up and you go, oh, wow, I really need that. That would be really helpful in my business, but that's going to be an extra expense. Um, so when it comes to things like that, I'm all for the 30-day free trial. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yes, yeah. so, so I'm always, and we are full of plugins. We are an online marketplace, yeah. so we are built on plugins. So I'm, I'm always seeing something going, oh, I wonder what that does. And I'll suddenly set it up and play around with it for 30 days. And some of them are wonderful and they're an asset to the business, and then others there was one the other day. Um, I know I just emailed a staff member and said, okay, can you make sure you take <laughs> take that off. down before it <laughs> before hits the, this date? Before the credit card gets in. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, so we're just sort of mindful of that. We are always mindful of, of our bottom line and of our figures. Um and we're always sitting down as well and going, well, you know, this might be going well, but is that being done for the best cost? And, and we're constantly going, well, could somebody else be helping us in achieving the same for less? Um, so we do analyse that as well. So um, so nothing's set in stone. Everything can change at any time um, as long as the numbers lead us on that path. But, but you're across these numbers daily. Daily. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There's never a day that I don't know my exact number of sales and exact number of page turns. So a lot of websites took in number of visitors, um, but we don't tend to do that because we're talking to brands. They care about their opportunity to be found. Um, so we tend to talk in page turns. Um, so, yeah, so we're constantly. So I, I would know every day how many page turns we have. So it's certainly something that we, we do pay careful attention to. Sounds like you're a, you're a classic uh, example of uh, how understanding the numbers helps you drive a successful business. That's absolutely fantastic. It really is. Just, uh, just, just if anybody is interested in buying anything for the kids, just run through the website and all that again for us. Yes. Yeah, so 
Little Kids Business, it is an online marketplace, so you can find it by Googling the words Little Kids Business. Um, the actual web address is www.littlekidsbusiness.com.au um, and we've got a really large variety. We've got thousands of gifts. Um, we've got some wonderful businesses and best of all, everything is shipped from within Australia. Um, so you're certainly not waiting for overseas postage, um, which has, is obviously a little bit of an issue at the moment. So Yes, it can be. I could tell you some <laughs> stories about that, but we'll save that one for another time maybe. So, so Lisa, that's been really, really, really interesting and thank you. I mean, I'm just going to finish up with, with that, that sort of the question to ask one of our guests, which is if you had uh, one key piece of advice for somebody who's starting out, what would that be? Oh, my key piece of advice is you can never be too proud if you're going to be a business owner um, because you will end up stumbling at some stage and if you're too proud then you're not going to ask for help and you're not going to be able to pivot and turn when you need to you're going to stay on your steady track and go no I'm right I know what I'm doing um, and that's going to get you nowhere so at the end of the day I think it's putting pride aside and understanding that it is friends that build a village um, and that's what you're going to need if you're going to be in business. That's that's I think that's really good advice. It's it's a, a little bit like one of the things I often say to people is in all this world of tech and IT, we talk about all the clever stuff we can do with tech, but we do have to remember that it's a person who clicks the buy button at the end of the day. Mm. And yeah, so yes, we're still sending people. It's all about business. It's all about people, really. It's, yeah, it's, um, definitely, yeah, uh, definitely. Actually, surprisingly, one of the things that <laughs> took off during COVID was our grandparents' helpline. Um, we have a lot of elderly grandparents who suddenly couldn't go to the shops to buy gifts for their grandchildren and they were struggling with online shopping so we set up a grandparents helpline and we have helped lots of lovely elderly people <laughs> since that COVID's been fantastic. around. Sharon's looking at me for some reason. Sharon, why are you looking at me as soon as elderly grandparents? <laughs> no, grandparent. Oh, thank you. All right, yeah, okay, okay. No, he abandons carts. But he's just, he's all just, over it. I'm just, aban- I'm just a cart and abandoner. <laughs> so, so I'm the enemy. Never mind. <laughs> so, Lisa, that's been absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much indeed for coming and joining us. And, uh, and we've really enjoyed hearing about your entrepreneur's journey. That's been wonderful. Thank you, John and Sharon. <laughs> Thanks, Lisa. We'll be back soon. Do you need a male doctor who will listen to you to discuss your health concern? Was your last skin check over 12 months? Little River Band, help is on its way. And help is on its way from here, if we're lucky, with uh, Searchlight, the entrepreneur's journey with, uh, with Sharon and John. Our topic this evening is understanding the numbers and why it's really important for entrepreneurs, founders, uh, anybody involved in startups, or business in general, for that matter. It really is important to be across the numbers. Our next guest this evening is Ian Park. Ian's the CEO of FinPayFX, who has the business motto of disrupt the disrupt. Ian's first, Ian's first technology company was in compliance and risk management, but spotting a gap in the payments market, he then moved into fintech. And as I say, he's founder and CEO of PayFX. In February, Ian presented FinPayFX at the Global 2020 Startup Grind in San Francisco and has also been nominated for Startup of the Year in the Leadership HQ Awards. Congratulations on that, Ian. And welcome to the the program. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here. Fantastic. Tell us more about being nominated for Startup of the Year in the Leadership HQ Awards. 
Yeah, look, that's a very, it's a very interesting award um, kind of show, I guess you'd call it. Um, so Sonia McDonald from Leadership HQ basically scours the Australian landscape looking for um, phenomenal leaders in various sectors, you know, whether that's non-for-profit. Um, and, yeah, so uh, myself and six other nominees have made it through to the finals for Startup of the Year, which is very, very, very exciting. Um, and I think the awards are at the end of this month, which or end of next month, sorry. I forgot which month of that. Oh, right, there's, there's, no, there's no big... Is there a big pitching competition? Well, or? no, they kind of they kind of streamlined it. Well, due to COVID, uh, yeah, I guess quite, they kind yeah. of streamlined yeah, all that and just yeah. yeah, it was supposed to be remote, which was going to be interesting because I've never been to a remote awards night before. But that, they can be entertaining. Although if I do <laughs> one more online conference, oh, never mind. Let's 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 let's, let's not talk about that. So, Ian, we've heard a bit about your background, but tell us tell us about your entrepreneur's journey. Yeah, look, mine was very interesting, I guess. Um, I segued from working in the resources sector um, into technology pretty quickly, um, you know, dealing with uh, risk and compliance and risk management around new hires for uh, large-scale enterprises. And that segued very quickly into the payment space due to me or my company landing a global client and trying to be paid in a foreign currency here in Australia. So I, I saw it as a massive pain point. Um, and then I basically collected a group of friends of mine, colleagues, um, some ex-bankers, and we basically worked out the strategy around a global payment infrastructure that allowed a single business entity here to set up a global footprint. Um, so no longer do you have to travel to those jurisdictions to set up a company, set up a bank account. You can all do it from an easy-to-use platform. Okay. So, so this is... So this is so if you had to describe uh, FidPayFX, mm -hmm. um, well, I'll tell you what, what, <laughs> what, would, you, what, would, your, uh, what would your elevator pitch be? What would you, what would you say? We, make, we, we essentially take a single-based business entity and give them a global footprint in over 130 countries. How would you do that? Because PayPal kind of does that too. Correct, yeah. So look, PayPal's much more based at a consumer baseline. They don't really work in the B2B, B2B space. Um, while they claim to be, they're not. You know, it's much more around, you know, consumers paying for paying for goods, whether it's via an e-commerce website or simply moving a little bit of money offshore to their family or friends. So businesses as a whole is, uh, I think it's about a $197 trillion market and they've generally been forgotten about. They've, they've, you know, generally stuck at their big four or a large incumbent and they're not very well looked after. Their customer service is pretty poor. And again, you know, your fees are really high and your rates are really high. Um, and I think for and a the long, conversion of dollars, the conversion of dollars, and look in a market, particularly like we're seeing now with COVID, or you know, a post-COVID life, if we can say that, market volatility is incredibly high. You know, you've got presidential elections in the US, you've got China, you've got India. Um, you know, it's if you're not uh, assessing the risk on this stuff, you really should be as a business owner. Mm. Um, and you know, it's very fitting that we're talking around numbers because my business is entirely built on numbers. You know, whether that's margin, spread, inflation, credit risk, it's it's a very interesting day for us when we look at market movement. It's um, That would be a, a daily occurrence. Every day. Mm. Every day. And, and, and fluctuations within the day, within the cycle. Yeah. And look, I often get told by my partner to... You know, at 2 a.m. in the morning, I'll be on my phone checking what's happening in the markets in the world because the U.S. trades while we're asleep. That's true. And I get told to get out of the bedroom and get off my phone. So, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm constantly, constantly have my finger on the pulse, as you need to. Mm. Um, and I think even, you know, businesses now need to be doing that because it's, it's much more a global economy now than, than ever, um, you know, and we need to be 
across the board on what's happening globally very quickly. Otherwise, you can price yourself out or you can lose profit or, you know, you can have something overshoot you very quickly, which is quite scary. So, so have you got a, have you got a banking license to do this or is it a more just a money movement? Thing? It's much more of a remittance type service. So, right. yeah, we, we have a very large execution broker out of the United Kingdom. So we've actually got uh, four locations that we operate out of. So we operate Australia, Hong Kong, Canada and the UK. Mm. Um, and we're looking at the US. But again, it's very tricky with, with everything that's going on there with the, um, the elections and so on and so forth. But, yeah, so we have a very, very large execution partner that we work with, um, you know, liquidity up to 5 billion so we can really we can scale quite quickly um so we've kind of been pegged with with taking over the apac region and working specifically with australia new zealand and you know indonesia and the philippines so, so you're operating under their license yeah correct yeah okay. yeah. Go on. Yeah. Oh, yeah yeah so we basically built all the ui and the ux and the customer experience on mm-hmm. the front end okay do you rewind there we go sorry <laughs> i'm getting too technical i know this is the bane of no, my no, existence no 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 there's all this lingo that we yeah it just takes a moment to explain so you are User interface, uh, UX is the user experience, and then CX is the customer experience. So while they all sound like the same thing, they're all incredibly different. Um, And I like to think of a platform like an organism, like, you know, people, how they interact with it, and it's constantly changing and evolving. Um, And, you know, having having a head of product and a design guy is incredibly important because you need to stay, again, you need to have your finger on the pulse because if someone identifies something in your platform that doesn't work, that's a flag and Mm. you need to get on top of that really Mm. quickly um and you know hiring a good cto good engineering teams is a really good protocol yeah that's that well and but that's a that's a common need for most sort of tech businesses these days isn't it yeah like i I suppose most businesses are are branching into having a digital footprint very quickly Mm. um and and it's yeah you got to cut through the noise and finding that Finding that talent, I'm listening very carefully. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> finding that talent is is paramount. And I guess you know, on the back of COVID, I guess there's a lot of talent out there that's interested in looking with working with startups. You know, mm. they've been in a big corporate or they've been in a large scale tech, um, and they're looking for if something a little bit different. Know any that are spare? Please pass them my way. I've, I'll, I'll give you my email address before. I'll, before I'll, I'll, be, I'll be charging you for advertising. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll send yeah, you an invoice. Prospective CTOs apply here. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> right here. <laughs> <laughs> out of curiosity, you are out there. People uh, can trade with you right now. Yeah. Yeah. So, how do they find you? Because I dare say there are people listening who have just gone, bingo, oh my God, you can make my life so much easier. How do people find you? Look, you can find, look, you can find me personally through LinkedIn, um, but certainly go to www.finpayfx.com.au. All entirely digital. You can jump online, send in your application, we'll get you set up and away you go. You can be trading in as little as 24 hours. Who is your who is your customer typical customer profile? What's your, what's your customer sweet spot? Yeah, look, so we have a very unique kind of customer segment. So traditionally, FX businesses go after you know shipping and logistics, um, trade finance, you know all those kind of traditional kind of spaces. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. We identified quickly that e-commerce is going to be the fastest growing FX market in the world, and it was very interesting, you know, listening to the um, to Lisa. L- yeah Lisa before yeah. me that her business was perfect for us. Because she's quickly growing, um, but she's also purchasing, you know, whether that's receiving money from people that are buying her products offshore. Um, You need to have a a currency account set up so you can accept US dollars Mm. or euros or Great British pounds. Um, Because if you leave it up to the likes of PayPal, um, 
They're gonna you s- get slugged. Oh, they'll, they'll yeah, they'll be slicing they a reasonable margin. Oh yeah, anywhere you. from eleven to seventeen percent, mm-hmm. which is huge. Which, when you think about a business is trying to protect their bottom line, they don't really factor that in, and they just kind of go, "Hold on, wait a minute. If there's a massive, massive currency fluctuation, yeah." And even if there's not, even if there's uh, not, it's can, still like yeah. I've purchased things on, you know, on the internet, paid with PayPal. Mm. Then I've gone and had a look at the the difference. Just if I was going to to do a normal cash exchange, it's astounding. PayPal mm. literally just creams Australians. Well, that's how you build a billion dollar businesses. Oh. <laughs> So, uh, hey, hurry up. Yeah, we're getting there. Exactly right. So, yeah, John, sorry, to answer your question. Yeah, look, we identified e-commerce really quickly as, as, you know, a a key target market for us. Not to say that we don't work with the traditional sectors that we work in, um, but for a for a customer, it's anywhere from, you know, transacting 50000 up to $30 million. So, you know, we can really help a lot of companies or a lot of businesses, you know, start to make much more informed decisions around using financial products. And that's the winner for us. It's much more about an educational piece. Mm. Um, just because they're the biggest doesn't mean they're often the best at what they do. Mm. And that's, you know, something... They was- just identified a market early on and people got used to it. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, my, my catchphrase is disrupt the disruptors. But, you know, I don't think anyone's truly disrupted this sector for a very long time. But here we are. That would, <laughs> that, that, that would, be, that would be absolutely fair comment, absolutely. So, I mean, so how do you go about finding? I mean, it's very easy to say, oh, you know, our target market is e-commerce customers. Um, um, yes, in theory, you can get online and find them all. But how do you actually go about doing that? Yeah, look, um, it's actually a mixture of, so our standard kind of customer acquisition channels, um, you know, traditionally are, you know, your LinkedIn, Facebook marketing kind of channels. But then we also developed strategic partnerships. So we went away and worked with, you know, some of the largest accounting firms in Australia because they're, you know, that kind of coalface with their client trying to, and, you know, most accountants should be trying to save their client's money effectively, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and work with them. And work and with them to make more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. More informed decisions, you know, they should be protecting their bottom line. So we went, well, why don't we go to the guys that are going to sell this product in our behalf? sell it to the accountant, then the accountant sells it for you. You've got, you know, you've got lead generation coming for however long that accountant's going to be in business. Um, and traditionally, our customers are very sticky. So, you know, they're once they're in and they're trading and they see value in the platform, it's very hard for them to leave. And even to the point where if they try to, we can re-engage them, reassess their rates, their margin, their spread, and keep them engaged or, you know, really kind of build good customer service around so you're, you're driving we were talking about ltv earlier like, you know, lifetime, lifetime, value. lifetime value of a customer so you're, you're you're able to drive fairly high ltv out of that yeah correct i suppose because of our um because of our liquidity standpoint we can we can really work on our fee structure mm. and be as aggressive as we want to really retain that customer not saying that they're going to stay on that forever but it's saying look to keep them happy for a year we can plug them in at this margin and this spread moving forward for 12 months, 18 months. Okay. And why would they want to leave? Like, honestly, at the moment, there's no alternative. Exactly. If anything, we're seeing more customers come to Mm. us through the organic kind of referral channels because, um, you know, they're either growing or buying, getting more stock or that, you know, they're aggressively expanding. Um, And you can see them start to go, oh, well, that business is expanding and they're in the same vertical as me. What are they doing that's different? And it's generally a comp- and most people talk. They'll talk to their they'll mm. talk to their competitors mm. and be mm. like, "What are you doing? Mm. Oh, we're using a different FX brokerage here. Go and talk to them. Mm. They're pretty cool." Mm. Yeah. 
FX brokerage. I hadn't come across that term. Traditionally, it's guys like... Well, traditionally, it's your big four banks. Mm. Mm. And... You know, but what does FX stand for? Foreign exchange. Ah, yeah. right. More lingo, sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, I was <laughs> we're, just we're trying back to, to the work alphabet it out. Soon We've got more yeah. abbreviations. <laughs> because in my industry, FX is, you know, sound effects. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly or right. Effects. So it's we- true. I'm kind of going, um, yeah, I'm sure that's not it but i'm not no, quite Sharon, sure. you're not about to get broken on an exchange <laughs> yeah. you're okay Relax. It's, it's cool it's okay yeah <laughs> so so you're driving that long term value what about yeah what about cost of acquisition though where does where does that sit for you yeah look so for cost of acquisition for us it's around look i can give you an actual figure Ooh, well, I, wasn't, you, I wasn't i can give I you a hard-hitting s- figure it's really around two, it's okay. around 285 dollars to acquire a customer for us okay. um now, whether that's based on commission payments for referral partners mm. or however we really stack that up, yep. um, it's a relatively low CAC, so it costs mm. to acquire a customer mm-hmm. for us, which is great. Um, payback period is around five months. Um, so it's because, again, being a B2C business or a business-to-consumer business, that CAC has is, is got to be relative, relatively Quick. small or that, that yeah. return has to be relatively high. Mm-hmm. With us, because it's B2B, they're generally continual payments. Um, you know, they'll make a payment every month, every fortnight every week so our cac is relatively low mm. um, or the, the rate to pay that back which is great um, and most b2b businesses should be like that because it's return and repeat yeah. business yeah absolutely I look it's a conversation i have with founders frequently and, it's, yeah. and often you'll see you know the pitch being done and that sort of thing and then you just say tell me your cost of customer acquisition and tell me your customer lifetime value and the number of times that can't be answered accurately is a bit shocking yeah yeah because these are the basic metrics of an online SaaS business or an e-commerce business even so these these are fundamental things that if you're you know here's the key tip for the evening folks if you're thinking of going into that line of business you need to be across these numbers it's absolutely crucial it really is so you're listening to Searchlight, the entrepreneur's journey with john and sharon and we are talking to ian part from fin pay fx and finding out why it's really important that you have numbers in your business we'll take a break for a minute we'll be back soon star car wash australia's leading hand car wash provider is now 100.3 fm bay fm the heart and the soul of the bay and this evening it's the entrepreneur's journey with john and sharon and we are talking to ian park from FinPay fx about how numbers have helped him drive his business so Ian, thanks for that overview of some of those sort of key alphabet soups <laughs> of numbers and things that we were we were talking about earlier. But I mean, you, you're in the you're, you're kind of in the banking business to some extent, or the correct the money transfer business, which is about numbers in its own right. Mm. So, how has an understanding of the key numbers in your business really helped you on your entrepreneur's journey? Yeah, look at a at a granular level, yeah. Payments and fintech is all about numbers, but from a from a startup founder's perspective, I certainly think uh, gaining insight into how you create revenue in your business and how you accurately value your business is incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Um, having a having a pretty in depth financial model to start really is really going to give you some great indications about where your business is going to go and some financial goals or KPIs that you can really reach uh, or, or try to reach. Um, I think a lack of understanding around a financial model is is incredibly important. Oh, I'm sorry. Ga- gaining insight into a financial model is important. Far <laughs> not, too often, not having a lack uh, yeah, of understanding. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Thanks, John. I, yeah, you know, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, uh, yeah, you know, I've I've founded a couple of companies, and I think at the at the early onset, I was like, oh, financial models. I don't need to do that. I've got I've got you know the idea. I'm the I'm the 
You're the hipster. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm the almond latte drinking, you know, tech founder. No, that's not it at all. Uh, and I fast figured out that, you know, even having a basic understanding of how a financial model, you know, profit and loss, how you generate revenue, what are your cogs, really sets you up to, to grow. Um, because if you don't have a basic understanding of that, when you get further down the track and you try and figure out what a P&L is, good luck. <laughs> you know, you, and, and I think, you know, when you need to talk to you, when you talk to your accountant, if you have a basic understanding of it, it makes it a lot easier than having to try and, you know, sit there and Google financial terms, which uh, can bring you unstuck pretty I mean, it's, it's great to hear that you've, you, you've fully, clearly, fully grasped that and fully understand it. But there was clearly a bit of a journey there in terms mm. of starting up the, you know, the, the cool dude with the bright idea, working your way through to the to the person who goes, yeah, now I've got to really understand these numbers. What, what was, how did you fix that for yourself? How did you deal with that? Lots of late nights and lots of sitting in front of Google and yeah. YouTube, mm-hmm. to be honest. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, look, I've, I've got friends that have been uh, our accountants. You know, some of them have worked for Price Waterhouse and some really big accounting firms. But again, they're so advanced that they try and skim over it to the point where you still miss things and you don't really understand the crux or the basis of it. Mm. Um, so, yeah, look, I kind of taught myself through YouTube. I, got a zero, I even got a zero account. You know, you can sign up for a cloud accounting software to trial it. You can go in there and you can actually like understand how accounting kind of works at a very basic level, but still, it's still very important that you understand that. Um, yeah, no, my I, first, yeah, I completely get that because I would probably have a similar story. Yeah, insofar as you know, my my background is sales. Yeah. So, you know, come the day when I started my business, it was like, okay, I've got to understand this this accounting <laughs> package and I've got to understand... I'm P&L, most people get, but it's like balance sheets, cash flows, that sort of thing. And I literally... I did much the same, but when I did it, we didn't have the interweb. Um, <laughs> so I literally sat down with the accounting package and I went through... Trans- I put dummy transactions through. Yeah. And I looked at what the transactions were doing in the accounts package to work out what the hell was going on. Credit, and debit. I taught myself double-entry bookkeeping which just sounds incredibly dull and boring. <laughs> but but actually, the, the bottom line is, once you understand the fundamental principles of, of that, mm. the rest of it kind of falls into place quite easily. You know, so, you know this concept that a, a company is actually sort of an empty vessel and that for every debit there'll be a credit and all that sort of thing, which a lot of people glaze over at. Actually, once you understand the underlying principles, it's actually not that hard to get your brain around. So, yeah, so, yeah, it's sort of very, very similar. And I think it's incredibly important. Uh, you know, and most, look, most startup founders will either eventually try and raise money and, you know, go down the investment path. And, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm black and blue, an investor is going to ask you about your financials. You're crazy if you don't think they are. And if you don't have the answers, they're going to go... Total guarantee, absolutely. You, yeah, you do not understand your business. <laughs> mm. And mm. that's the scary part. Yeah, you've got the vision, but do you understand how to run it, what it, what it looks like financially? Mm. And if you don't have those answers, no. Yeah, and and we will do that. We will drill into that, and if there is a weakness there, we will find it. Oh yeah, <laughs> and you've got to be prepared. Says he with his investor hat on. Yeah, yeah and you've got to be prepared to dispense, like you know, defend your financials with a spear. Because if you're an investor, they will they'll try and discount everything. They want to know how you came up with that figure, where it plugs in, why your cogs are this, why you know everything. Like and it's but so with your your first startup mm-hmm. where you said yeah hey I'm the cool dude that's <laughs> it I don't need to know about the numbers what happened with that did uh, you end up sort of um, who was it it was Anthony and it was both Anthony and Warren that were saying if you don't know those numbers at some point you're going to step back and go that doesn't work yeah it it, it fastly became look we 
we effectively tried to race to the bottom for price and go, okay, oh. we're going to be the cheapest in the market. We're going to do this. And yeah, it was just... I hate that model. And it doesn't work. No. No, it doesn't work. And it becomes abundantly clear when you get, like for us, when we got our first hosting bill from Amazon <laughs> and we're like, oops, okay, that's more Ouch. than what we made this month. That's, yep. that's not good. <laughs> And you can't dig yourself out of that hole because once you've set that price and you've raced to the bottom, mm. it's incredibly hard to put your prices back up or to become, you know, market aligned. It's, it's, it's rarely viable, but it can only be viable if you've got a genuine basis for cost leadership. And if you're buying your cloud stuff at the same price as everybody else, yeah. it ain't going to work. Yeah, yeah, it ain't going to work. So we effectively took that business offline and shut it down for six months and then relaunched with... A SaaS hack, an accurate SaaS price. You know, everything was priced correctly. Yeah. We took hosting into account. We built a financial model. Oh, good idea. <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> and then, yeah, it, it's, it went really well. And I exited that business on a high, you know, and then it was it was great. Um, but, yeah, we we went away and built a financial model because we were just shooting we were just shooting in the dark. And we've quickly learned out that, yeah, you, a race to the bottom never works for anyone. Works for your competitors because... Their customers will churn and come to you, but they'll, then they'll go back mm. at a higher price point. Mm. Yeah, no, it's yeah, no, and certainly the, the the fundamental requirement of building a financial model, as usually with businesses I've been involved in, it's almost the very first thing I do is like sit down and say, okay, how's this going to work? Let's build, you know, let's look at the income, let's look at the cost, let's look at the cash flow. You know, it's dull and it's boring, but it's fundamentally necessary. You know, that's it. And you pour over it for way, you know, longer than oh, anything gosh, else. Yes, yes, anything else. Because yeah. you want to make sure that it's 100% right. You want to be able to, to safeguard your next five years of projections to go, this is what we're going to reach. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And you, you pour over them. No, that's, yeah, it's, 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 it's very, very important stuff. So, in t- again, coming back to your entrepreneur's journey, I mean, you, you, having been through that experience of them, when it came to, when it came to this business, mm. you, you sounded like you were in pole position and ready to go with it then, yeah? Yeah, so we, we spent six months building it out. In, like from a mon- modeling perspective mm. um, again because <laughs> FX or foreign foreign exchange services as a business is incredibly complex from you know margin spread you know you've got 130 different currencies to deal with you've got inflation you've got you know economic news you've got everything in there that can quickly turn a business so you need, really need to factor it in and your, your models and your projections need to be incredibly robust but they also need to factor in a thousand different you know problems variables. or uh, variables that can come in so, yeah, we spent six months modelling that business um, and then we finally launched. In the back, we were obviously still building the tech, but, yeah. I'm, I'm dying to know who built the spreadsheet. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to take any credibility for that whatsoever. Uh, that was my business partner. So, cool. he's a um, yeah, he's an ex-Big Four banker, So right. and he's worked in corporate M&A. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I even now look at the model today and I'm like, it baffles me, baffles mm. me, but, you know, he can speak to it and defend every single number that's on that page across, you know, what is it, five years, month well, on month. No, that's good because the other thing about building models like that is they will always be based on assumptions. And, yeah. And, again, an investor is going to come along and go, okay, why is that number that number? What, you know, what do you tell yeah. me? Give me the rationale of your underlying assumptions. Yeah. Well, that was the thing I always thought was fascinating is, so I was like, what's a pro- I, you know, when I first, I was like, what's a projection? And they're like, oh, it's just an assumption. I was like, but we're how are you? How are you getting to that number? And they're like, oh, it's purely something. These are the, these are the figures that add up to it. And I'm like, okay, but what happens if you don't hit it? And they're like, well, that's the joy of it being an assumption. I'm like, 
Okay, this all seems bizarre to me, but anyway, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, that, that, that's a very point, though, because, you know, it, it is a forecast. Yeah. And it is, it's, it's a forward-looking projection of what might happen, happen. in the future, or, or your best guess of what's going to happen. Often the only thing you can say about these with certainty is they'll be wrong. <laughs> okay, it's just that you don't know how wrong they're they going to be, be, you yeah. know, and the art is getting them less wrong, you know, yeah. more or less, because they're, they're never 100% right. No. I don't think I've ever seen one, ever. They could never be 100% correct. correct. absolutely. So because they're assumption, because mm. you're, you're dealing with forward projections, which is why investors, when you see these investment documents, they're full of all these get-out clauses that says, we're making lots of guesses here, it might be wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I would much prefer... Prefer to to guess on a very conservative plane rather than sort of like this is my best guess. Uh, yeah, no. Well, it's but, always it always yeah. needs to be conservative. I think you see you see a lot of startups that are like we're going to be the next unicorn, we're going to be a billion dollar company. And you're kind of like, okay, that's great. How? How? Mm. Yeah. What's your execution? And they they build these models around being a, a unicorn, um, and you're kind of like, uh, yeah, okay. Let's let's just be a little bit more conservative. Let's have a look at your projected cash flow and figure out what's what actually goes where. Yeah, um, yeah. My other favourite bit of that is 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 the famous hockey stick. <laughs> that I was going to say. Gonna say. That. So yeah, you can talk about that. No, well, yeah, no. Go ahead, talk about. It. We should maybe say what the hockey stick is first. You know. Well, look, I'll. I'll I suppose for a hockey stick for us, FX is very unique because it's effectively volume versus profit. The more volume you have on your platform, the more money you make, obviously. And it's and it's a pure kind of reflection of that. And a hockey stick in a foreign currency company does actually kind of almost apply. Mm. But in a lot of businesses, you see it's just the, the variable of, yep, um, growth hits here and then profit it goes like goes berserk so so just to be clear a yeah. hockey stick gr- is usually a graph yeah. that normally shows profit or revenue or usually profit profit you know yeah. or cash flow dipping down 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 initially for a little way and then suddenly goes up so you're left if you stand back from it with a graph that looks from a distance like, like a, a hockey, hockey stick that's why it's called a hockey stick um and so it's this thing about and of course the up is always way bigger than the down yeah know, so yeah you look at the x and the y and you're like hold on how is this actually even po-? you know you, you kind of take it in you take it in your stride i guess but everybody has one they, they, yeah they're very common yeah, <laughs> so it's almost like it's, you said in an investment thing and they say, oh yeah here's the hockey stick yep. <laughs> page seven there it is yeah, <laughs> <Ta-da>. yeah. <laughs> but it's uh, again it's back to you know are those numbers is there are the assumptions behind those numbers robust enough yeah, look, I think it comes down to market data and better understanding your market. Mm, yeah. Um, uh, you know, if, if you can find a business that's been in a, in a similar vertical or has done, you know, a similar kind of product but in a different sector or something like that, you can generally get market data that understands it. You know, you can get total addressable market, you know, whether it's the SME market, then boil it down to micro SME. What's the, the CAGR on that? Small you know, to medium enterprises. Small to medium enterprises. Micro SMEs, you know, then... You've got your CAGR, which is the, the compound annual growth rate. And you can figure it out pretty quickly how, how quickly the market will grow and, and how much you decide to kind of capture of that growth. Um, and then it's all about price. So, you know, you can figure this stuff out. It's not too hard to just throw your hands in the air and be like, oh, it's all too hard. The figures, the data is there. You just need to interpret it. 
It's fascinating. No, the numbers. The numbers. Yeah. Well, you don't the numbers. Yeah. Absolutely. That's it. Ian, that's been absolutely fascinating. It's been delightful talking to you. Um, just just give us a quick plug for the business again. So if, if anybody's out there, they think they may have a, a foreign exchange yeah. requirement for their business. Yeah, look, if you're, if you're an e-commerce business accepting payments um, and you've got customers overseas or even domestically and you want to either whether you're buying goods, selling, accepting payments, jump on our website, www. FinPayFX, that's F-I-N-P-A-Y-F-X.com.au. Um, you can sign up online. You've got all our contact details there. If you want to talk to one of our dealing team, you're more than welcome to. Um, and I'll tell you what, we won't even take an affiliate clip on it. How's that? Okay. That sounds good to me. <laughs> that's great. You're listening to Searchlight, the entrepreneur's journey with John and with Sharon. We've been talking to Ian Park from FinPayFX about that alphabet soup of numbers, but some of those numbers really are incredibly important. Ian, and it's an exciting business too. Thank it's you. fascinating. It really is. Ian, thank you very much indeed for joining us. That's been absolutely brilliant. One Wonderful. last question. Uh-oh. Oh. Sharon gets... Sharon gets. No, Sharon no, no, no. This is, this is the oh, John I the question. question. I forgot the last question. You did. Hang on, the question. I've got this. Sorry. Final no, question. Right, go. Final question. This is my favourite question. This is my favourite question. If you have one key tip for anybody starting out, what would it be? Uh, be prepared to make mistakes. And by mistakes, I don't mean mistakes. I mean, you're going you're gonna to have instances or events in your business that you're going to learn from. Mm. I think mistakes is the wrong thing. Be prepared to learn. And I'm, you know, I've been doing this for nearly 10 years and I'm still learning every single day. Um, the way... You know, whether it's new technology, it's new players, it's new partnerships, you need to you need to learn. Mm-hmm. And by learn, I mean mistakes in inverted commas. But, yeah. And to learning. repeat what I said earlier, you, do, you should learn more from your mistakes than your successes. Mm, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Trust me, I know I've made a few, including some of the buttons pressed this evening, but that's another <laughs> story. But uh, <laughs> You've done a bang-up, John. <laughs> <laughs> Ian, that's been absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much indeed. All the very best with that. Uh, we look forward to hearing more about that one day in the future. So uh, may may yet get you back see what we can do. Thanks, You're God. listening to Bay FM 100.3, the heart and the soul of the Bay. Back soon. Do you have spider veins or varicose veins or red and blue veins? Lady Gaga, Poker Face. Oh, we've had Poker Faces tonight when we're talking numbers. I, my, my, I was not Poker Faced at all. All right, not very much. Maybe. <laughs> You're doing a really good job. This is Bay FM 100.3 Searchlight, the entrepreneur's journey, and we're literally only a couple of minutes away from finishing it. Another three hours, John has gone. Vroom, vroom, it goes faster than a speeding train. It's it does, crazy. and it's been exciting. It's really been a great night. Fantastic guests. We've had some really, we've had some very interesting discussions around this topic of understanding the numbers. I mean, you, I have to say, when I put this to- topic on, I thought this could be a bit dry and boring, but it's been far from that, actually. Isn't it? And again, another another evening of a learning journey for both of us. Exactly. And, and let's just take a moment or two to reflect on the guests that we've had this evening and some of their key messages. So, we kicked off at the uh, at uh, the top of this evening with uh, Anthony Owen from On Market um, talking about the stuff they do with, with equity crowdfunding and, um, and his key piece of advice about, you know, it's, it's do your research. 
Is that a, that's a theme we've heard before, I think. Mm, yeah, I think yeah, that's the yeah. theme of every night. It's coming through a lot, isn't it? It's mm. like, do that homework, do that research, make sure you've looked at all those things and you understand all those assumptions that you're making and, 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 and really have got all that all that stuff covered. Uh, and then we had our good friend Warren Maris of Magnus Business Advisors uh, was in just talking about a lot of the stuff that he sees and I think his uh, his key bit of advice was really make sure you really have wrapped your brain around all of these these key numbers and really really do understand them. It's really incredibly important. Um, and then we had Lisa Papa from Little Kids Business. There, That was really interesting. Mm. Yeah. I and know. how yeah. it started and then sort of like, oops, okay, let's, let's grow this and invite others to join us. I, I can understand why she, she was being voted one of the top 50 people in e-commerce. Yeah, that was it's it's just it's just really really good stuff and and we were talking about all those amazing variable things that you get the, the abandoned cart thing you know that was that I was didn't realise it was so high yeah That's it's shocking. a big thing it's, uh, yeah eight percent I didn't know the number was that high but I've come across many other businesses I know of other businesses who build a significant business around having abandoned cart software. You know, they just have software that you can plug into all these web things and they will track the abandoned carts or to, to use Lisa's term, you know, abandoned cart chasing um, <laughs> uh, to make sure that, you know, you had a customer who's on the cusp of buying and you've lost them for some reason. What do you have to do to get them back? Mm. You know, that's that's really is fundamentally important stuff. So, um, yeah, that's interesting. But Lisa's key message as well was, was, this was really good as well, is never to be too proud to ask for help. Which I thought was really good because it's like often in this space you're in the you don't know what you don't know space. And so just going, no, okay, I, I'm going to ask for help can be a major you know, thing that can help propel you forward. It, sometimes it could be a case of just having the right person to have one conversation with that can get you thinking differently about something, about the way you thought about something, can be the step that can move you forward. And, yeah, that's 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 really important to do. So that was great. Lisa, fantastic. Thanks very much for coming in. And uh, Ian Park, uh, who was just with us. So FinPay FinPay Actually, I hope that Lisa was listening in the car on her way home. Yeah. Um, because there's another thing that, that she could add to her e-commerce platform, and that's the FinPay FX. Mm, yeah. And again, Ian's key message at the end a um, little bit similar to Lisa's actually thinking about it is, is be prepared to make mistakes but learn from them mm. you know and, and pick up those things and uh, you know well even Anthony earlier in, yeah. in the evening when he was over in America uh, and being grilled about investments they asked how many times have you gone bankrupt? How many times mm. have you failed? Because yep. for them, that was important. Yep. How yeah. many times have you failed? If you hadn't failed, and actually Anthony said to them, I haven't failed. And it was like, really? <laughs> no, I think this is, I mean, I, I don't think anybody's advocating failure as a business model. Um, Americans I, I, are. Well, yeah, I'm not sure about You'll that. Learn but from I, it. I do think that to have been exposed to situations where things have gone wrong. Mm. And, and you've been able to learn from that. I think the key thing is learning from it. Um, I, used to, I used to do a bit of a... I've forgotten the detail of the quote. I'll try to remember it. There was a great quote I used to give in this from... Um, I'll try to remember it. it. It went something along the lines... and it's Because I love maritime you know, analogies. All right. So this is a maritime quote. Because he's got a boat. Yeah, well, I, I love maritime <laughs> analogies. So this is a quote. And the quote goes... I can't remember the video. It goes something along the lines. And never in all my years at sea have I seen anything seriously dangerous or anything untoward occur. And, you know, went on like this, all this sort of thing. Um, and you know who did that quote? can't remember his name, unfortunately. It'll come back to me in a second or two. The guy who was driving the t Titanic? Absolutely. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I, I wasn't expecting to do this, so I didn't look it. I didn't look it up, but it's actually genuinely true. Is, is this this he he he'd had this stellar uh, marine career, but had never been involved in anything seriously nasty. <gasps> Uh, and of course, we then know what happened. Sadly, so it's it's kind of that sort of thing. Is is actually it's absolutely s- that thing. Yeah. I, I do a lot of um, voiceovers for e-learning programs, and one of them is for teaching pilots and and air. Mm. staff mm. what to do in the case of an emergency because the last thing you want to do is is get into an, uh, an emergency situation and say um but i, I, I don't, don't know, know what, what to, to do. do this wasn't on the training they course. practice yeah, practice so practice exactly practice practice yeah that's right with all of the what could go wrong yeah yeah but yeah here, yeah but that's an interesting one we all think the hosties are there just to serve us you know nice mm. drinks and that sort of thing no they're there for your safety so that you know correct. keep that in mind uh, next time you're on a flight uh so that's it that's that's our evening we've had a fantastic evening um that's been fascinating four weeks time mm, I think we it's are get back again even more fascinating our topic will be and i'm jokingly calling i might have to change the title of this program i'm not too sure about it i'm, I'm initially calling it to pitch or not to pitch that is the question. question. With due apologies to the bar, to the bard. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, no, seriously, it's like you know we have this thing about we should pitch. You've got to pitch and raise money and all that sort of thing. Is that the best way? Is it the only way? Uh, we'll be having an interesting discussion with a with a range of people who know about this stuff. So it's going to be a great evening. So back here four weeks time. Now before we leave, searchlight is on a Monday night, and it's now going to be a permanent fixture so we've got every single monday a different searchlight make sure you listen from next next monday we've got searchlight conversations we've got searchlight lost boys and we've got searchlight rainbow it is going to be absolutely fascinating to listen to all of the different subjects different topics that are covered every single monday night from seven o'clock right here on your local amazing radio station Community radio covering the topics that nobody else will do because it's much more interesting. (laughs) (laughs) We love it. Hope you've enjoyed tonight as well. Thank you very much for your company. John? From me, John, and from Sharon, thank you very much indeed for joining us. It's been a great evening. You're listening to Bay FM 100.3, the heart and the soul of the Bay. Have a good one.